Hello, Canada and the rest of the world, and welcome once again to the Netflix Podcast, the show where we review the movies available to stream on Canadian Netflix. I'm Dylan Clark-Moore, along with my co-host Caroline Deason, and joining us here today is a fellow PhD student of Caroline's in the English department at Western University. Welcome to Mr. Adam Bose. Bose knows. So this is throwing me off having two of you here, so I guess, Caroline, I'll ask you First, is there anything cool that you've been watching on Netflix? So on my Letterboxd watch list, I have a ton of movies that are on Netflix, and I've been trying to work through them. So the most recent one I watched is another Coen Brothers movie. Um, we did a podcast on Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And uh, I watched Barton Fink for the first time. What'd you think? I really liked it. Uh, it was uh, very funny, laugh out loud funny at many times. And there were also lots of things that I noticed were pop culture jokes that now I'm like, oh, that's where that's from. So... It's always good when that happens. It's like when you watch The Godfather after, after it's like watch. Oh, like you've That's exactly what happened before, to me. Like exactly. The Godfather after growing up on The Simpsons. And then yeah. like, oh, I get jokes. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. What about you, Adam? Anything interesting you've been watching on Netflix? Um, honestly, no, not really. <laughs> I've been um, kind of busy, and I I watch mostly trash. That isn't available on Netflix. That's true. That's, that's where I'm at right now. I will definitely be doing it, and then if I if I come back. So I, what kind of stuff when, when you say trash? Okay, well I host I host these movie nights that um I, I try to do double features uh, my partner and I and we we try to pick movies that um the likelihood is that our friends will have never seen them probably will never have an opportunity to see them. Or if they do, they would never in their right mind take that opportunity <laughs> to watch them. So we try to watch um, one really bad one and then one that we, we actually like. I don't want to say really good because even <laughs> the really good movies we like are very divisive, let's say. <laughs> so, we yeah, we do bad and then palate cleanser. So the bad, I'm obsessed lately with, with Neil Brain, who is... Uh, He's a, an independent filmmaker who has been making movies for, I think it's probably nearly 10 <laughs> a years A thousand now. years? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's about 10 years, and he, he makes them all himself. He, he writes, directs, produces, edits, stars um, in, in all of this. No, he stars. He is a star, Caroline. Don't, okay, fine. Let's not I'll laugh stop, I'll at, stop at Mr. Neil scoffing <laughs> at Mr. Neil Brain. Anyway, all he his, probably all his films... has like a Google search, you know, <laughs> thing for his name. So if you put this in the in the podcast, well, right he's up, he look will out for government conspiracies. That's true. So. I mean, well, because he's always cracking them. Exactly, constantly. So yeah, he, he has these movies that are constantly the same plot uh, and and just really really poorly made. But there's so much heart in them that I can't help but enjoy watching the madness. Um, and you know, we will show something like Holy Motors <laughs> after that, yeah. or. I guess when, the other when we one. watched when we watched Holy Motors the uh, the first one the bad one beforehand. Yeah, what was your palate cleanser for Holy Motors? No, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you can believe it, Holy Motors was the palate cleanser. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the uh, the intro movie was Chopper Chicks in Zombie Town. A really bad trauma film, which honestly didn't live up to my expectations. Oh. Yeah. It surpassed mine. <laughs> well, the movie that we are here to talk about has been alluded to a couple of times. It is from the year 2012, directed by Leos Carax. We are going to be talking about holy motors before we get into that i should let you know that today's episode of the netflix podcast is brought to you in part by unlondon's 121 studios london's premier digital media hub and co-working space visit 121studios.ca for more information so netflix describes holy motors as such first when you hover over the title it says this surreal drama from france follows dl who becomes many different individuals living different lives over the course of a 24-hour period. DL? DL. Yeah, where the hell did that come from? I think probably the from the, the actor, uh, oh. Denis Levant. 
But the oh, character's yeah. name is Oscar. Or Mr. Yeah. Oscar, at least. Or Mr. Oscar, yes, that's yeah. right. First name, last name, probably the biggest mystery of this whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> Number one. Let's just spend the next hour trying to figure that one out. <laughs> uh, the, this has only happened once before. When you click on the movie, the description does not change. Interesting. Because oh. Netflix just does not know what to do with this shit. <laughs> <laughs> the genres that this movie belongs to, according to Netflix, are dramas, international dramas, Independent dramas and international movies. So, Adam, you yes. are the one who brought this movie to the table. <laughs> you want to crack it open? So, I normally ask why Holy Motors. Instead, I'm going to ask what the fuck. No. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, why Holy Motors? I would actually prefer you to ask the other one. So, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um,. Well, okay, you know, Caroline is obviously, I found out about this podcast through that and became interested in your guys' work and love listening to it. And, and you know, when Caroline says to me... I love listening to every third episode of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. It's not just Caroline ones I've listened to. I kid, I kid. Uh, um, but yeah, um, so when, when, when Caroline first brought up uh, uh, the idea of, of me being a guest, I first had to just look through <laughs> Canadian Netflix because... I don't use, let's just say I don't use Canadian Netflix. I, I, what I actually did was just started searching through um, the movies that um, stuck with me over the last five years, basically. And Holy Motors is near the top of that list. Um, so it, was, it happened to be on Canadian Netflix. And what better way to introduce myself than a completely <laughs> incomprehensible, most like offensive and <laughs> wonderful and beautiful and misanthropic, but still kind of optimistic movie. I don't know. All of its contradictions really, really speak to me. So oh, that's, that's you all in <laughs> one description. Right there. So, so I assume that what you're dancing around is that you watch U.S. Netflix or I, yeah, I, I, I yeah, okay. I do. Yeah, I totally okay. use VPN. So did something. you did you watch this on Canadian Netflix or American Netflix? Because one thing I read is that apparently when it was on American Netflix, it was censored. So there's this Do you know exactly what was censored? Probably yeah. the dick. Yeah, it was the dick. <laughs> right. Is that it? it? Wait, right, yeah, but, what, they, what but the, the thing was, they kept, they kept the scene in. It was right. just they lowered the lighting and they kind of no. like smudged out his dick. Really? So you knew that there was a dick there, but you can't. But see you couldn't it, so see you his can't be like offended by it. his yeah raging erection. What I guess hell? that's better than just putting like a big black box over it. Like Kim Kardashian style. Right. <laughs> that would have been a little... Nothing to see here. That would, that would have been a little hokey. All right. Well, um, it's not often that I do this, but I feel like just because of the episodic nature of this movie, mm. that it's okay to kind of take it a chunk at a time sure. and go through yeah. because they really are... Like, this movie is put into isolated chapters Absolutely. that barely have anything to do with each other. <laughs> so, oddly enough, the beginning is probably not the best place to start, but it is where we should start because mm -hmm. it's in the beginning and I, I don't really know what to do with it because <laughs> it's totally separate. It doesn't seem to have much yep. to do with anything except, yeah, we were talking a little bit beforehand about uh, how excited I was that I felt like I did kind of, there was you like a, a glimmer that like, maybe I get this, <laughs> this really weird thing. Yeah. Um, and the, the opening scene does a lot for that because the very first thing that we see is yep. this old grainy movie and then you see this sleeping audience and i was like oh is this movie going to be about like filmmaking and about like audience disengagement from film and then it kind of was yeah sometimes and yeah. i was like sweet i picked <laughs> up on that <laughs> <Nailed> it. <laughs> nice. um but the distracting part was also the fact that it was in this hotel room with and then in a movie theater yes. with all this like 
seaside the, yeah the audio yeah the audio seems, is all like is, it's like he's on a beach or something yeah it's like he's on a beach and it just mm. made me think of homer trying to get marge to sleep with the calming <laughs> soothing sounds of the ocean <laughs> go, go, go. <laughs> that was <Exactly>. amazing <laughs> so i'll open up the floor um so i mean like did the opening scene like what did that do for anybody what did it well i mean um pro tip uh that dude is is the director that's that's Leos yes. um yeah. uh and um apparently that scene is actually based off of a short story where a guy is in his uh hotel or his apartment or his hotel room or something he he scratches away at the wallpaper and inside there's this opera house um uh but yeah i don't know obviously you know you're you're totally right this is this is a movie that is cuz Kadox hadn't made a film in years and years and years and years so he kind of was like off the the cinematic grid for a while and so i think this kind of weird parable to begin the movie uh about him waking up and lazily kind of lumbering around this room and then scratching away at this wallpaper of trees right it's it's nature in a way and to pull himself into this audience this this theater of sleeping film goers or whatever um, and you've got the baby and the big dog walking around, right? There's obvious <laughs> tension here about, yeah, viewership, what it means to make a film, what it means to be a, a filmmaker who clearly wants to touch his audience uh, in a way. Uh, and and I don't know, I, I find particularly the, the baby and the dog um, very interesting because I think that, again, really captures something about this movie with the sort of the naivete of thinking film is powerful and, you know, uh, at least in that opening shot, it looks like this dog is stalking the baby, right? Mm. So there's this sort of danger associated with it as well. It's this... not the same dog that's later with with him in the hotel room, is it? With Monsieur Oscar in the hotel room? Oh, you know what? I don't know. Is it, is it you like mean a on, chocolate... the, on the deathbed yeah. sequence? Yeah, is it like a chocolate lab at the beginning? I can't remember what the name no. is. Like no, it's like, a, it's like a, big... a big black hound of a thing. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't think I it's the same dog. black at first. Yeah. I mean... Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I, I don't think it is the same dog, but that's right. a, okay. I wish it was now. <laughs> <laughs> and that the dog ate him. <laughs> yeah. But isn't that, like, isn't that kind of a neat thing about the movie? Is that like... You can't do that? You'll get that and you'll be like, did I just did I just catch something? I got the clue! And you're like, no. No. Yeah. <laughs> I missed, like you're trying so hard to latch yeah. on to anything that you can like I mean, yep. we'll get to it later but at one point like after uh after kylie minogue shows up mm. i was like oh was she the nurse nope <laughs> nope, nope not at no, all not. stop stop that's, looking for that kind of kylie minogue. <laughs> yeah I, I liked too that the, the, the weird thing with the key uh where his finger kind of turns into mm-hmm. this really unique key thing that mm-hmm. opens the door like yeah. I... Boo! How long is this gonna go on? Nine forty-five. Go home. Um. So either that's like a he's a he's like a liquid terminator thing where he can just <laughs> form his body into whatever it needs. So he's like, I am the vessel through which this can happen. Mm. Either that or this whole thing has been set up for him as the director, and he just needs to, you know, it's it's tailor made for him because the one shape that he can anamorph his finger into is the one that can open the door that's hidden behind his hotel room wall. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what to make of it, but... Well, and it, I mean, that's kind of what Monsieur Oscar does, right? He morphs into a new, mm-hmm. you know, thing yeah, every exactly. time, right? That yeah. he needs to needs to be... Needs, a role that he needs to play mm-hmm. seamlessly. It's also the... It's one of the... St- 
more immediately strange images of yes. the movie. Yeah. Because like so much of the confusion and everything that comes with Holy Motors is from just not understanding what's going on and trying to piece it together. But there isn't that overt science fiction or magic mm. that yeah. happens. It starts right out the gate with something weird enough for you to be like, oh, okay. <laughs> right. But then, <laughs> but then that kind of, like, that specific type out. of weirdness yeah. doesn't ever come back. We don't yeah. get that particular brand of, of sci-fi magic anymore. Yeah. I guess not. Yeah. Until the very, very end. Oh, yes. Until, <laughs> yes. until Holy Motors. Yeah. <laughs> until Holy, Holy Motors. Yeah, that's right. That's a good point. Okay, so the first job, I yes, guess, the, the assignment. first assignment. The assignment. Yes. Yeah. Is it an assignment or appointment? Um, it? Was I, the word I think they, they use both. I think they use both words. Actually. I suppose it doesn't matter because it's in French. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I think they they use... say rendezvous, which means meeting, don't they? Don't they say rendezvous? Right, meeting. So they mean, it means meeting. So when he gets into the car and Céline says, um, or he, he asks how many, uh, combien de rendezvous aujourd'hui, Céline? And she says, tres ou quelque chose comme ça. No, je pense. I think there's nine. It's nine. It's yeah, nine. I'm speaking half in French. And I count them up too, and even the ones and like for the. I t- oh yeah, because we talked about that. We yeah, talked, we asked. It actually like every every chapter, every event that takes place is a scheduled appointment. Yeah. Okay. Every cool. single thing that takes place. That's it's good. Nine. I'm glad you checked that. But yeah, <laughs> they they do call them meetings, rendezvous. Okay. Mm. Yeah. So his first meeting is as the uh, the old woman, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yes. Speaking an entirely different language. Yep. With uh, the really sad line that all I ever see is cobblestones and feet, because mm-hmm. she's hunched over, pathetic. And from a, you know, if if we are looking at it through the lens of him looking at filmmaking, and I felt at first that he was kind of either celebrating or lamenting some aspect of filmmaking. So for this one, I felt it was about costuming and about mm-hmm. how all it takes is you know the actor holding their body in a particular way and draping these things over top of them, and they become an entirely different person. Mm. Because there isn't really anything else that happens in that scene. It's just him or her. I'm not sure what, what gender I think it's supposed to be her. I think it's supposed to be one well, of these no, I think ladies. Yeah, I yeah. think that the character is supposed to be female. Right. I just don't know if what even Oscar you're not, you're is. Not, you're yeah. not sure who to refer to at this point. If you're <laughs> yeah, referring to the character sh- or to Oscar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think Oscar's a robot. I'm going to throw that out as early <laughs> as I can. I'm not even joking. I think that Oscar is a robot. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love it, you guys. I can throw on a straight face for that, and you're both like, okay, well, he has to. We've just like, but I'm not even joking. We've I done actually... the robot thing so many times. <laughs> can we please, can we please avoid talking about a robot again? Okay, he's a zombie. He's a he's a vampire. He's unkillable. Okay. Okay. And, well, and I, so I, are other people. I think we, film. yeah, I think we, yeah, I think yes. we need to get back to that yeah, a little yeah. bit, a little bit. Hold later. Yeah, they'll, they'll come later. Save it for the podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But specifically with this one, um, there is a really interesting thing that it was actually only on on the rewatch uh, that I that I had uh, uh, with Caroline actually that I noticed about that first uh, rendezvous um, near the end. Okay, well, there's two things that stood out to me. Uh, near the end, there is actually another old woman that passes him oh. and stands kind of sort of to the right side of the screen with her back to him. Uh, and she kind of puts her hands out like she's kind of blocking him. And you can't actually see... Oh, yeah, I know. I saw that when we watched it, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she sort of turns around and looks sort of baffled. She never actually looks at Oscar. Um, but she sort of turns around. She looks sort of, sort of baffled. And then she kind of wanders off. Mm-hmm. So you have this really interesting moment where Oscar is portraying this sad, pathetic, old 
trope of a woman, right? This is more of a babushka figure. This is yeah. the kind of thing you you are associate with, like the streets of Russia. Right, and we right? were talking about how the language is completely un. Yeah, uh, we we can't recognize which language it is because, yeah. and I think it's meant to be just like a hodgepodge of yeah. uh, babushka type languages. Yeah, exactly, totally, totally. Yeah, exactly. And and so you you have this sort of this fictional trope version of the sad old woman, and you have literally in the sort of periphery of this scene what may be a confused sad old woman right. <laughs> in the real world walking around confused and that's basically what it ends is when is when the, um she leaves that shot um and the other thing yeah. sorry oh i was just going to say because in each in each one of these rendezvous he has to do he has to fulfill something right yeah and that was that was the only thing that that had to happen before he could leave that rendezvous right oh maybe yeah, yeah. i guess well unless it was just a question of he had to do it for a set amount of time. Yeah, right. Yeah, just that's that's, that's what I thought originally, but it just seems like such a coincidence that that it would have happened right when. I don't know if that's the case. Then it kind of fucks up my my theory with the movie, so I reject it. Okay. <laughs> you know what I thought was going on when I first saw that is I thought it was going to be I thought that that was his job where he was one of those people who I don't actually know if this exists or not, but it's one of those things that conservative moms and dads are very worried about when you go to Europe is don't ever give any money to anyone who's begging because these. People People dress up and they actually are, right. you know, well-to-do and they go and do this and they're scamming you and then they go right. home to their, you know, mansions. Right. <laughs> right? This is the like, <laughs> horrible, like, neoliberal <laughs> West story of, of what happens when you go to Eastern Europe, right? And and, and I thought that that was going to be the whole movie is him scamming oh, people out of, out of things. But then, right, because like, the first thing is him coming from this enormous, very like, In a limo. He's in home. a limo, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think that we can keep going with that because... That could also be saying, you know, what if that's all that film is? What if yes, by right. talking about these topics in such like a flashy, stylized way, mm. we're no longer actually having conversations about real issues? Like, yeah, yeah, that was the concern I had with Beasts of No Nation was I was like, wait a minute, like, is this about a real country? Because mm. if it is, tell me about it. Because you're just kind of saying like Africa is in trouble. And then I'm like, oh, man, like Africa is in trouble. But I don't like <laughs> I don't know about the, the specific concerns. Like, and there's nothing I can continent. actually help. <laughs> yeah. But I've seen this movie about it now. So I'm like, well, I, now I know about it. So I'm yeah. dissolved of, or, you mm. know, I'm devoid of any responsibility to do anything about it. Mm. And, you know, that could be the case, too. Like, we're not paying attention to people who are actually having trouble because we're watching pretty actors pretend to do it. I think that's to do very it. much well, and, what the film is concerned with, yeah. And and also that's her her line, the character's line when she says, I only ever see the feet and the cobblestones, right? Like, I'm, mm. I am I have a tunnel vision to what I'm seeing and it's a, a lamentable mm. thing for her, but it's still tunnel vision. It's like the frame, yeah. Yeah. The other thing she says is um, I'm afraid that I won't die. Yeah. Which is completely sort of contrary to sort of the repeated theme of immortality, right? I mean, the I don't want to skip ahead. I'm going to skip ahead. No, it's not contrary. It's it's in line with it, isn't it? I'm afraid I won't die is the same as being immortal. I guess so. Yeah, I guess I guess that's true. Yeah, I guess that's true. Vampires, yes. you're right. I see what you're. <laughs> yeah, see there's you're yes, there's immortality comes up. We'll go with it in line though. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so the next rendezvous is what I've called CGI guy. <laughs> um, because he is like he's dressed up in the the motion capture mm-hmm. suit, yep. right? But. It does this weird thing where the motion capture suit has utility beyond motion capture. It's actually like he has to stand in a particular position and get zapped with lasers as a security feature. Yeah. And he has to pluck his nose hair to get like DNA permission to get in. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So he had to, you know, go through all these steps to 
have access to this crazy techno world that he was about to go into? Hold up. I thought that the laser thing was just something that actually had to happen when you're calibrating the motion capture camera. If the, I mean, like, not an actual mocap thing, no? obviously, okay. but okay. but um, uh, I think that, yeah, it could have been that as well, that it's just, like, they're calibrating this whole... Yeah. Oh, that sure. could have been it, too, that's, yeah. That's what I thought was going but on. But definitely, okay. like, security is part of that yeah, scene, obviously. He needs, like, again, right. the nose hair thing is pretty obvious that there's this... Right, like, he is one of the few people who is allowed access exactly. into this thing, and there but, has to be a small sacrifice of his own body to do it. I yeah. love the, I love the where there's those two bridges, and there's, like, a bunch of guys dressed exactly like him going one way, and he's going in the building the other way. Did mm-hmm. you notice that? No. So there's a whole line of people who look exactly like him in those motion capture suits leaving the building as he's entering the building. Okay. So it's exactly like the Looney Tunes sheepdog who comes and clocks in right. and then leaves. <laughs> and then the next one comes in and clocks in. Yeah, like on the one hand, you <laughs> felt like he was going on some kind of super spy mission. But on the other hand, it seemed like he was going to play Laser Quest. Like right. there yeah. was this really casual intensity. That's well, good, I, I think that phrase, one that one intensity. particularly, I mean that 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 rendezvous establishes what is um like a heavy trope for the rest of it, which is um a lot of time spent on simply depicting transport, right? Not just in the limo, but actually physically walking two places there's a tr- there's i think at least two minutes of him just walking through this facility right i mean um so there's there's an awful lot of ambulatory uh emphasis going on here um but definitely this uh, particularly to go into this enormous facility i think speaks very directly to the kind of digitization of cinema the digitization of of artistic process in general i also yeah. i also think it kind of um put question when when this is set when the when the time is and so i think it's in the near future as most of my podcasts seem to be it's in (laughs) it's in 15 minutes from now future where we're not entirely sure when it is but it's right around the corner and the dna thing with the nose hair was the first thing that tipped me off that was like i don't think that's actually how people get led into sony (laughs) (laughs) the the other things that i took away from that section were one was with technology the kind of the, the pillaging of the person yes. in terms of performance. Totally. Like we see Denis Laval. I am giving him the benefit of the doubt that he did everything Adam in this movie. Adam says he did. That's, Adam, what I've, that's what I've heard. I've Adam, heard that Adam, he's actually doing it. Adam, he, you said that the director loves this guy because yes. he does all that stuff. He's an incredibly physical actor and he's used this, he's used uh, Denis Levant for like 30 years now. So. All right. So, you know, you have Denis Levant, but this very physical fight scene where he's jumping all over the place and doing these crazy flips and everything and it's not like you know a traditional martial arts movie where you're celebrating that and you have bruce lee with no shirt on you see his muscles flexing as he's doing all this crazy crap he's completely covered up it's completely you know stripped of his identity because it's not going to be him that's on the screen Mm -hmm. um and then the next part of that sequence is when he's on the treadmill doing the the, the CGI thing, and he's literally in front of a green screen. Right. Yeah. And like we're not even beating around the bush anymore. No. <laughs> but the the CG, like the the stuff going on behind him, like it it looks, starts off looking like a platformer, but then it gets so intense and spastic and unwatchable. Mm-hmm. And I, and he's sprinting at top speed, a speed that nobody can actually sprint right. at. Like yeah, he can't even. He physically at. can't keep up with it. And that's you know the technology moving the past the point. So we first got to the point that. Right actors become commodities and now we're at the point that the actors themselves can't keep up with what the technology thinks it's layers of representation right and the technological layer of representation now is getting less and less 
requiring of an actual embodiment to do it basically. right <laughs> but at the same time like they, you do still need the person sure. at the base of it it's just how far the technology can go past that because at no point does the technology th- actually threaten to replace actors and Unless human beings Danny Levin is a fucking robot <laughs> who was exactly. made by this industry to continuously do this so, but why does he have to go? Why does he have to go home? Okay, anyway, he okay. doesn't go home. He doesn't go home. He doesn't go home. Well, he goes to a home. He goes to a home, but, but he goes an to assignment. Yeah, right. that's that's my least favorite part of the movie. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, <laughs> um, no, okay. But I was just gonna say that I I found it very disturbing when the the voiceover guy who's giving him the uh, instructions is disappointed that he fails at that treadmill, and he's like what's going on you know like what's wrong and and dl's like uh i'm sorry I'll, I'm, I'm fine i'll do it again you know what i mean like at no point is dl like this is ridiculous and my union is gonna be mad right <laughs> because that's not the kind of actor he is mm-hmm. you know mr but, oscar is all about the craft no no but i'm i'm saying that this is all okay so what i think is going on in this movie is that every single one of these rendezvous go exactly as they are supposed to this mm. is a script that he's following he is supposed to falter on that treadmill and the voiceover is supposed to scold him for doing it but what my point is that is significant that his character doesn't argue back because of the fact that the that kind of dominance that the 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 boss has over over him is exactly what you're saying about filmmaking in general and how the the technology the speed of the technology and actors keeping up with it and things like that are it's like a steamroller that you either do or you don't you either get out of the industry or yeah, we'll find, we'll find someone who will. Exactly. Right. And so he can't say... This line of people who passes him Exactly. The there's, right. there's literally a line of people who have come out who will yeah. do the exact same job once, you know, like, we send them back in. Except, so for, that, we... except for that contortionist. They they need to get her on speed dial. That's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she was really good. I, I don't know. I'm sure there's a few of those. The, sure they have enough. like yeah, true, true. They have the Cirque du Soleil, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know. But but yeah, I think, I think all of that's very intentional and that it was intentional that he didn't argue back. To uh, to this voiceover who is unreasonably, <laughs> you know, asking him to do these. Things. I think that's totally on point too because every one of these things are also about power dynamics. Mm-hmm. They're also about um, who gets to say what happens, <laughs> even within the, the the structure of the scene. I think that's really interesting that you think that everything takes place the way it should. So yes. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep needling you on that. I think. Okay. So the last part of that rendezvous is the contortionist snake fucking. Yeah. I think is the best way to... Also, I'd just like to point out that when we were watching it, and Adam had already seen this movie a bunch of times, he was like, oh yeah, I forgot about this part. <laughs> I watch a lot of CGI snake fucking, so... <laughs> right. It's a, like, you, you, you hadn't separated this one. Yeah, it just seemed like one. One of, you know, a regular Wednesday yeah. for me. <laughs> so I'll tell you what I told Caroline, and then I won't include this was what I wanted to say in talking about this was I was like, is this sexy? I can't tell if this is sexy. Well, I'm masturbating, so it must be sexy. <laughs> well, I think that's really interesting. I think that's actually something that, that really bears talking about. Is it fucking sexy? Because that has everything to do with what um, Carax is doing with this movie, right? He wants, it's all about the, the, the loss of humanity in film, the process, the product, right? So... Whether or not this CGI snake fucking is sexy or not is actually really important, I think. Is it more sexy when it's the snakes 
fucking? Or is it more sexy when it's these two actors paid to do their job and rub well, and That's, that's where I was another. at because when they were rolling on top of each other, I, I actually lost track of their bodies. Like I couldn't yeah. tell who was starting where and if it, it started to do CGI at some point. I don't know if like I was just tired or <laughs> if it was just it did a really good job of it. It looked like you were rolling two colors of Play-Doh together mm-hmm. and they were just starting to meld into a ball of something you couldn't recognize. But it it is undeniably sexual and like they are trying to evoke sensuality really explicitly like Mm -hmm. the first thing he does is he grabs her breast and then later as they're rolling around together he's like licking her vagina yep he goes right down through the through the the latex the latex yeah okay but can i just point out that as someone who is maybe i'm not i'm not gonna you know speak for you guys you can jump in but maybe someone who is at least has been conditioned to look at men in a way that is supposed to evaluate their attractiveness or not, okay? I'm supposed to evaluate their attractiveness. And speaking as a pansexual person, I also find women attractive. Hmm. This woman was attractive. Danny Levine looks like a horrible, crazy man. This man is (laughs) repulsive. And I find it very difficult because I cannot insert myself, and I'm not saying that you're doing this, but I cannot insert myself into the position of this, this guy finding this as like a sensual thing i find this as a beautiful woman that i wish would stop being bothered by this tiny troll <laughs> honestly i was like you poor thing i'm so sorry i hope you're getting paid well, a he, buttload of money i think he immediately starts with like the lizard sounds too right like he's oh. he's making like he's making these like right. really weird but they sounds. both are like i, I they saw, both are. I saw yes. I, I, but he I, starts i think i saw it as them being professionals yeah. doing their job because Absolutely. their job is to right. take these but, but so often very gorgeous women have to be as professionals have to be put in scenes with horrible pretending looking... this piece of trash is attractive yeah. and you find right. him paging charming. neil breen <laughs> <laughs> well as somebody who has been conditioned to know that i am an ugly troll of a man <laughs> i had no problem <laughs> inserting myself into that scene <laughs> but that's I guess and that's something that happens later too, right? Where he you know, he's he's in this position where he's with this gorgeous woman and I just had chills running down my spine thinking, run away, run away, run away. Uh, it's it's not scene. intentional here, just, but the fact that it's repeated just pisses me off even yeah, more. Yeah, absolutely. Right? No, I, think, <laughs> I think that's I think that's I, yeah, I think that valid. he is celebrated for, exclusively for his acting ability and she is a pretty face and like, a contorting body and a contorting body like her job is harder than his job in this like even if they're both being professional about it like yeah. he's, oh, yes, he's, he's yes. got an easier time of it I'm, I'm not oh yes yeah, yeah yeah for sure and the the snake fucking like what they're projecting onto the screen mm-hmm. as they're they're watching the dailies or whatever like that is completely that's not meant to be attractive right i depends on who you are uh, don't <laughs> kink shame me dylan <laughs> Okay. How dare you? I mean, like, I guess that—that's uh, the question, right? Is what do you think the product is here? Because okay, well, mm-hmm. here you mm-hmm. were saying you were saying that um, you know you think every part of this is is like it goes to script. So do you think that this is actually because we're told that you know the cameras are invisible? So do you think that this rendezvous is is actually go to Ubisoft, get your mocapping fuck on, and then leave, or do you think this is a scene where you go to Ubisoft? get your mo-capping fuck on and leave and scene? Or do you think that the job oh, I see what you're is saying. actually at this facility? Right. I'm just curious what you read on that. Okay, is. so I guess I should um, develop the conceit that I see in the, the movie a bit more. And this is at the end of the movie when I was watching it with you, Adam, I said, so 
the, I mean, it's a reality show. We're watching a reality show, and we're watching the show like there's a camera in the limo. As far as I'm concerned, there is a camera on DL the whole time, and there's a camera on every one of these actors. Why are we calling him DL? Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> because someone started, and I can't stop. Netflix Oscar. started. He's Oscar. Yeah, Netflix started, so we have to we have to keep it going. Miss okay, you, well, Oscar. I'll, I'll, I'll be the I'll be the. the no, no, the, the outlier. <laughs> Spider is geared. Okay. But can you believe that Oscar's his real name? That's anyway, sorry. <laughs> Please go on. <laughs> okay, so I think that there's a camera on every single one of these a- actors at all times, and that um, all of these vignettes that we see are being broadcast onto some, you know, 24/7 French uh, channel. And I don't know if maybe you watch a channel called Monsieur Oscar, and you always see Monsieur Oscar mm. doing whatever he's doing, and then you flip it and you see the Monsieur Oscar's niece that one time or whatever. Mm. You know what I mean? Like she's a different actor. So you think she's an actor as well? You think oh, that every yes. everyone involved are actors? Yes, I think that everyone involved okay. are actors. Oh, I, I definitely think the niece. Is. Anyway, we'll get to that one later. But yeah, no, I think everyone involved are actors, and that uh, the performance for this one is not just the product that they create, as in the snake fucking mm. that we've that we've called it, but also that you would see him doing all that action stuff beforehand, and that you would see the like in the, the sexual... mocap suit, like it's yeah, just, yeah, yeah. it's just done as so when we watch Holy Motors, we are watching the product that presumably yeah. the audience of whatever and, this universe is. And here's watching. why I think that because every single reality show that you see has the group of people with some stupid assignment where this week they're uh you know ceos of this company and now we have to all watch them do this bird or fish out of water thing Mm. right that they're not used to and we have to watch them fuck up and we have to do watch them do all this stuff and then the next time you know they have to go to a school and help these kids put on a play or whatever you know what i mean and that to me is exactly what's going on here so this is this is his reality show challenges yeah exactly this is like we're Mm -hmm. watching we're watching his reality show challenges round the clock Hmm. it's neat interesting because i i'm gonna leave now i I disagree (laughs) because i i think the way that the movie is presenting it is that oscar is i mean as the through line you're you're at least meant to think that he's more of a genuine person and it's not until the end where the chimpanzee family throws you for a whole loop that that all gets thrown out the window because the whole time you're expecting him to go home to his like modern house with his with his fancy family and everything, right? Okay, that, wait, wait, wait. That was also an assignment. That's right? what I was right. going to say. Is that is that number one? That is an assignment. No, it's not number one. It's the it's the assignment he left off on from the, the day before. Day. And yeah. that's why when I say that he goes home and you say, but he doesn't go home, I'm like, yeah, but no, every day he's got a different home because this is his show. I think uh, for right. me, the limo is the only time he's off camera. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, he could I be. I think he's yeah, off camera. He, in, yeah, in you're right. Yeah. 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 I, I also but, agree. But with that. you think he's on camera in reality show world at that point? Uh, I, no, sorry. Uh, okay. I think that that's the commercial break in between then, then, you're, then he's on camera on TV again, as soon as he gets to his next assignment. Oh, okay. So oh, we're actually all okay. in agreement all, then, because right. I thought what you were saying is that, like, even in the limo. Like, I did, I like, did verbatim say that, but that's not what I meant. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because what it seemed like is like what you were suggesting is him in the limo was that's when he's having his talking like head moments. Yeah, yeah. Like his, where he's like, I can't believe that they made me throw a pie in my burning face. <laughs> that that actually like would be a good reading, but that doesn't actually happen because he doesn't say anything interesting in that whole time. So I don't think that that's true. Yeah, right. but getting, that would be a we're good. We're getting reading. to Celine though, right? I mean, yeah, Celine is the best. So we never actually finished answering, and I apologize for any kink shaming that I might have done. <laughs> for me, right. the idea of watching two colored right. snake 
people Fucking, in a cave with yeah. no context seeing their relationship and watching... Well, that's the thing, though. But, like, okay, the contextlessness, you can't imagine that that's actually the product, right? You, you can't imagine that this... Or you, Are you saying you, can or can't? You, you, Sorry. you can. Okay. You can. You shouldn't, I guess. <laughs> I guess I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting that that you come in, do your mocap job, and that gets used as, like, a three-minute bit in a, you know, 50-hour video game or whatever. That's reality. That's right now. Yeah. Right? So this snake-fucking scene, I presume, is a small part of a much larger product. In the same sense sure. that he's doing this fighting scene, he's doing run and gun. As far as I'm concerned, that's probably several different products that he's just slating, yeah, right? Sure. Like, boom, boom, yeah. boom, boom, That's boom. his challenge. It's yeah. Okay. reality I... show challenge, right? <laughs> Today, you are the mocap guy at See, Ubisoft. Fair enough, fair enough. Right. And, and I guess what I'm trying to get at is that the the point of it, at least with the, the snake part, right. with the sex part, is, oh, is that... <laughs> Dylan just went, like, is someone masturbating we, to this? We know no, it's right. <laughs> no, I mean, the, 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 the point that I'm trying to make with that part is is much like with the much like with the green screen part it's right. you know they're putting so much into this performance yes. and look at the shit look at the shit that's coming out of the other end <laughs> this baloney yeah where like they're supposed to be having sex but like the the, the snake penis is going through her well, that's, legs that's and not touching anything right? just like penetrating this get her thigh gap yes and not actually doing anything and his tongue is just like that's why i think i think that caroline what you were saying is 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 so is so important and interesting right because you um, the humanity, what little humanity you have of this snake fucking being made for you is just completely compromised by the situational grossness of it. <laughs> and I think that's fucking brilliant. And I think that I think that might actually be really intentional. Um, because yeah, I don't think I don't think at the very least Leos Karak thinks that people are gonna find this just like. No, like this is just straight up erotic, you yeah. guys. Putting that in the spank thing. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Yeah, but that's know. what. I, but the, that that scene, like that yeah. thing, is being made for somebody. Absolutely. So I think it is like kind of a a, a parody of like totally. this is how dumb stuff has gotten. That like sure you right. put this in so that you can say Absolutely. that Commander Shepard fucked every, a snake. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like if if anything, like that first sequence where where he's doing this martial arts and it's it's this incredibly choreographed, well executed thing where you're just like, wow, that's just a dude silently doing martial arts choreography in a room uh, and that, wow, great, good job. And then it gets this run and gun thing, which as you say, right, it gets more and more chaotic. It's unwatchable. It's just, it's just noise, right? And I think that's definitely what, what, what uh, the director is trying to kind of like hammer home here, where it's like at, at the end of the day, a lot of this just becomes about the technology. Right. And we get kind of an overt statement about that in the, in the limo on the way to the next rendezvous when Oscar laments that he doesn't get forest jobs anymore yes because so far we've seen oh, yeah. him in yeah, nothing in the nature in the nature. urban environment yeah. and completely constructed bullshit techno environment yeah. and i don't think i guess you know when he in the next scene he does get to at least spend some time in a cave but <laughs> no, it's, it's in the sewers. sewers yeah the sewers Parisian is it the sewers, sewers? Yeah, it's yeah. The sewers. okay i yeah. have something to say about that part <laughs> all right so the the next section is and i'm using this word i think i grabbed it from imdb i called it the troglodyte section because oh. that's the phrase that somebody used to describe it? He's Monsieur Merde. He has a name. He's what? Monsieur Merde. Mr. Shit. It, does anybody he's say saying, that? He's saying Monsieur Merde. Yeah. It's in the... It's, yeah, my French pronunciation is Adam garbage. <laughs> so, um, no, I saw that name somewhere, but I... I it's s- in the credits, and he's this okay. character is actually based off of... Um, well, it is a character that um, the director had made previously as part of a... 
there's a movie called Tokyo exclamation point um, that's a collection of three short films from three or two French directors the other one being um, Gondry uh, and a uh, South Korean director whose name is escaping me right now but in any case um, uh, and uh, Carax's uh, edition is just called Merde and it's about um, Monsieur Merde same, same guy Mr. Shit uh, except he's in Tokyo, and so same the same outfit and everything, right? Like he looks same outfit, the same. the exact same look, same mannerism, same mess, messed up language, um, <laughs> and it's like, like a, a, looking like a leprechaun who just yeah, exactly what I said too. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, you know, the the music that starts out the 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 Mr. Shit section in the movie is like this Godzilla esque theme music, right? And that was very much his contribution to it, right? It was him trying to basically do a monster movie. Except the monster is, and these are Carax's words in an interview, uh, the ultimate foreigner, right? So this ultimate symbol of otherness uh, that we can't, we hate, <laughs> right? That that uh, national dialogues are are formed for the entire purpose of being terrified of this thing. So uh, Monsieur Mead is 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 straight up like a, a character he's already used. Uh, and you pointed out something section. really neat about the time in the limo just before that too. That gives it kind of. Just when he's talking about how he wishes he could go to the forest. Yes, exactly. Yeah. He's eating sushi, so a la, you know, Tokyo. Um, and and I think he, he actually just opens the folder and goes, mailed. <laughs> yeah, he does, yeah. <laughs> right? And yeah. you think it's just like, oh, he's pissed off. But no, it's that's the character. It's, <laughs> oh, it's, it's shit. But it could also be. Like, this is Fuck, probably yeah. the <laughs> least enviable character. <laughs> like, yes. Oh, man. Like, really? Yeah. But at the again? same time, it is, it's the character of the film, right? Right. Like, it's the one you remember. It's the one that I remember, but... <laughs> I don't want to. So going going a bit back to my initial attempt at reading it of just kind of like what's being criticized or what's being celebrated right. about film in yes. this, uh, I really didn't respond well to this character. And I don't necessarily even think it was because he's gross. I mean, like, th- like he is sure. gross. Yeah. No question. But... I felt like this one was being played at either like 90% or 110% where like it was either being overcommitted to or under like something just felt like it was a either... lot of shit is thrown on the wall here. Right. And it felt, I felt like it was a criticism of kind of pretentious filmmaking. You're just like saying, okay, well I'm going to take this, this great actor and I'm going to throw him into this situation and he's going to be nude and he's going to be wearing a, a jacket and eat flowers out of a <laughs> out of a cemetery this is fucking hilarious dude because this is literally what like Carax did like he made this whole short based off of just this this idea right of making this freak right and then like for the Carax is your pretentious filmmaker <laughs> no matter how earnestly he does it it can't come across as authentic because it's too weird like it can't huh it can't resonate with you as a person because you're like disgusted but you also we've seen him be an actor the whole way along so at this point when we see these characters we're seeing the characters but we're also seeing him okay in but the when characters you, say you don't read time. him as like authentic what do you mean by that you don't read him as a person you don't like do you okay i think okay so are I you guess disgusted when, by him well i guess are what i'm saying like at this point is i'm embarrassed for the actor at this point because i know that this is a job that he's doing and it could even just be okay. because he goes mad beforehand like i feel like he like, when you say the actor, you mean Mr. Oscar? I mean, yeah, I mean Mr. Okay. Oscar. Because I'm like, I'm sorry that this is the job that you're doing right now. Like, I feel <laughs> bad for him. Oh, and... I feel bad for him for most of his assignments. <laughs> don't you? This is a horrible I life. find this really interesting, and I don't want to, like... Because I think the next assignment is the one he hates the most. The uh, the one with the kid? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm saying my journey so far right. into the movie up to this right. point, yep. was was well, this one where I was just like, I was like, you don't fingers off. When you rewatch it, you notice exactly when uh, she brings up specifically Diane Arba, Diane Arbus, and she's like, she took pictures of midgets and giants and monsters, and they're really human. And she does air, she does scare quotes on human, and he's startled by the scare quotes around human, and that's when he bites her fingers uh. off. I leave that without comment. No, well, but I think that's really interesting based on what you just said about the fact that you couldn't actually like read this character as anything but like this is an embarrassing weird situation. Yeah. Right. And then and then I mean she is supposed to be that 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 poor intern who right. speaks French <laughs> is supposed to be uh that that that's pretentious to be like oh we're going to put you together and it's going to be a beauty and beast thing and it's, this is a real I, and I mean the photographer is the worst, right? He is the I think I think the photographer's dialogue in this movie sums up everything this movie has to say about art. Right. Because when he's taking pictures of, of K, the model, KM, uh, played by Ava Mendez, who nails it for many reasons, um, he's saying, beauty, 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 right? Over and over and over and but over But it's, over it's even more, like, he's, like, coming as he says Oh, yeah, he's beauty. But, dude, yeah. if you've ever been around fashion photographers, you'd know that they're fucking creepy as shit. Like, they're, <laughs> yeah. that's not even that fucking weird. Like, yeah. in terms of the, the, the dudes who are, well, shit, like, high-end fashion photographers some of the most celebrated people in like the fashion industry are creepy as fuck um so knowing that so he says beauty 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 he turns he sees he sees mr shit and he starts saying weird weird so weird and he switches cameras (laughs) he switches from a digital camera which he's using to take pictures of of k and then he switches to the analog camera (laughs) to take pictures of 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 mr shit Uh, and then once uh mr shit kidnaps km and he's running off he's he's chasing after him taking pictures going oh god oh god oh god i think that's everything i think that is it. from going from beauty, beauty weird, weird to oh, oh god. god so so you have you know art art and spirituality in a sense right you have art fart <laughs> <laughs> that was the original title of the film actually art, art fart, fart. <laughs> I liked the I liked the the director's relationship with the whole experience because he is doing this thing where he's both this gross human being. Yeah. He's somehow standing twenty feet from from Mr. Merrid, and he's the grossest guy in the room. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yes. But I then, think that's, yeah, but he's also he's there. also probably the most like authentically artistic person that we meet in the movie. Because Mr. Shit is way more authentically artistic. We'll get to that. <laughs> but well, I, in that, at least in terms of like the business of creating art, because he sees the opportunity in yes. everything, and he didn't get to the point where he's photographing KM True. without having something to back it up. Like you, bullshit will only get you so far. And his and KM ex- looks amazing. That shoot looks amazing. Yeah, like, in that, in so that, you know, he has this gross eccentricity, but he also like he sees the opportunity. And his intern yes. is missing two fingers, and yeah. he's following the shot. Yeah, he's destroying people and letting them be like wrecked. But right, right. he's you know he may end up winning some kind of major award for that picture Absolutely. that he had the thought to I should capture this. Funny, funny that you should say that too because the 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 short that Mr. Shit comes from um uh is uh, about, you know, this guy, this monster coming out from the sewers of Tokyo and getting increasingly violent with the populace. Eventually he's they catch him. He's put on trial um and he gets a translator who it's worth watching. You can probably find it on Vimeo or something. Um, but uh, uh, he gets this translator who looks kind of like him and speaks his his language, 
and translates for him in this really high-profile court case. Um, and he's essentially defending himself by saying, like, oh, I, I hate everyone. And, and, they, and they're like, well, why don't you just kill yourself? And he's like, oh, because I love life, stupid. Like, what, what are you talking about? I'm, you should die. <laughs> right? And, and, and so nice. then the Japanese public b- becomes, like, split, where half, you know, you get these ultranationalists protesting in the street saying, kill him, kill him, you know, hang, hang once you're married, hang him. And the other half are saying... We hate ourselves. Fuck Japan. Like, go, go, Mr. Shit. Right? Like, and so it, it's very much about exactly this kind of thing, right? The the nature of the kind of asshole artistry uh, involved. I think that's that's all over this yeah. as well, for but sure. When you were talking about that, Dylan, even with that context that Adam just brought, I thought it was, it reminded me of when we were talking about her and the commodification of art going forward. And to say, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but what I what I got from that when you said he might win a major award from this for this photo, and it just it when art loses absolutely all humanity to become a successful commodity, right? Because that's what yeah. that means, right? So that that to me is inauthentic art. And I th- yeah, okay, authenticity was probably the wrong word to use there, but he's dedicated to the business of. Yeah, art. He, that's right. the thing. You're talking well, about different kinds of art. I think time, I think right? you can just finish that sentence as he's dedicated to the business, right? Like <laughs> he's, he, he is a photographer and he sells photos and he's going to sell this um, really shocking photo and it's going to be much more interesting than you know yeah. what that's he. The thing. I, I that's still, exactly I, it. the oh god, oh yeah, god, yeah, the yeah. tragedy, the yeah. horror. Yeah. Is I still put him above sell. like tabloid photographer though. Like he's not like snooping over fences to get pictures of. Like, oh, I just Kanye watched Nightcrawler too. <laughs> Um, and so then the scene takes this King Kong sort of vibe where Mr. Shit can I, can I, grabs Eva oh, Mendes. Yeah. Can I tell you my interpretation of the scene? Yeah, please. So what's actually being referenced here is uh, Notre Dame de Paris, the hunchback of Notre Dame. And so Monsieur Merd is the hunchback. He's even dressed in green like the uh, Disney version of the hunchback, but that I think might just be a coincidence that uh, the director was probably happy about. That ugly ginger with a green yeah, clothing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. He looks no, exactly yeah. the same as the Disney Quasimodo. And uh, Kay is obviously Esmeralda, and she, instead of being a dancer, um, she is a, uh, a model, right? Mm-hmm. You see the, the link there. And then when he absconds with her to what in uh, Notre Dame de Paris would have been the cathedral, they go through the sewer. And that is what happens in Notre Dame de Paris as well. All of the, the sans-papiers is what they call them in, in Notre Dame de Paris in the book, which means uh, without papers. So they're not technically allowed into Paris, which at the time was only the island that the cathedral is on. Very like It's called Ile de Paris. So every night they, had to, they were pushed out by you know, the police officers, and they went through, they snuck back in and out by going through the sewers. And when they got up, uh, they ended up in a cemetery. And that's exactly what happens here as well. And then so I think I read this whole, because at first when I, I didn't realize that this was going on, I was really disturbed by how Eva Mendez's character just is serene in this whole ordeal, mm-hmm. right? She does not react whatsoever. And I'm not saying, like, I agree with you that the performance is good, but I really hate the character as a result. You know what I mean? I really hate that this is literally, she's become a prop, you know? And and it's not in, that's, that's where but the, she was, like, she was a prop when the scene began. Of course. Right. 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 And that's, and that's where the comparison, or at least the references to Notre Dame de Paris, uh, I don't know if the director, maybe I'm, I'm not reading enough into it and I'm missing something, but I don't know if the director just wanted that kind of very... Parisian story to reference 
because Esmeralda is not that, right? Like, that's that's not how Esmeralda's character is. She's being saved by Quasimodo for reasons that are, you know, because she she is a, a shit disturber, right? Like, she has her own agency. Here, this is not what's happening. You don't think she... Cause, and, and that's this is why I really love Ava Mendez's performance, because I think... Um, well, I, there was an interview that I read of her uh, that she said um, she the way she kind of reads this character is that she's actually because the whole time that you know this personal assistant is talking to to Mr. Shit, Mad and and Kay are just staring at one another. So they're colluding, is what you're saying? Well, the way Ava Mendez at least reads this character is that she's basically silently calling him out, like come to get me. her out of this. Okay. Um, uh, and what I, I love the fact that she, you know, she's literally kidnapped, taken into the sewers, she's put down, and then it's just like, I'm going to take this wig off, I'm going to fucking pretend I'm waiting for the bus kind of thing, right? She's so non She's not frightened of him. The only time she shows any kind of fear is when he's eating her hair, and it's more of like a, what the fuck are you doing, dude, right? It's more of a, like, what the fuck, man? Right, um, which I think is, you know... It needs to be acknowledged as a, as a level of fear. Don't eat my fucking hair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's fucking weird uh, and scary. But I think, um, I mean, if anything, I think the obvious kind of comment, at least partially, that's being made here is that um, uh, Karax is is equating a sort of obvious monstrosity with the ways in which femininity is uh, is is constructed and represented by sort of the fashion industry and sort of like the monster of Monsieur Merde is equivalent at the very least to the photographer right I get that that was his and she's point less sca- yeah exactly I sure. get that that was his point the the point that I'm trying to make is that when she's a model standing there presumably she gets to go home and she gets a paycheck right. she has now been kidnapped and she's in a sewer with a man with a giant gross boner <laughs> right like so, I yeah. I'm not entirely yeah. sure we're you so, know in a better situation right so I <laughs> I don't think she's in a better situation what I think is that it's almost like a Adam you mentioned that you know these these super photographers are gross. Like, uh, what's his name? Terry Richardson? Is Terry that... Richardson is a fucking crazy gross, and he's not even right. high fashion. Right. So, you <laughs> know, just shit. we've got guys like, you know, like the Terry Richardsons who are just like, they've conditioned models yeah. to to this passivity. And that's yeah. how I read the character. Was she was just Wait, like, sorry. she was so like shell-shocked perpetually, like yeah, professionally. I, I think she doesn't see Monsieur Merritt as really significantly different. I think she's like, new contract kind of thing. Oh, wait, yeah, she's just wait. like, yeah, dudes are being gross. Okay, wait, wait. I actually never read her as a model. I read her as a, a celebrity. I read her as Ava Mendez for for a couple of reasons. One, that um, she's the biggest name in the movie in America, right, for North Americans. Um, and two, there's like a huge shitload it, of people. This movie did not get American distribution, though. I don't no, I know, but like, I just mean, you know, he they could have picked a French woman that I wouldn't have Apparently, known, originally, and... he wanted Kate Moss. Okay, so that would have been more of a uh, overtly a model yeah, because. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, there's also like a shitload of people like who have just been like, oh my god, you know, it's KM or whatever. Yeah. Right. So I don't, I don't know. I, I, I saw it more. She's as, definitely supposed to be famous. Yes. yes. But right. I saw it more as uh, she's a like celebrity. famous actress doing a photo shoot exactly. as opposed to famous model, model. who's broken through. I right. I think I think the PA but, introduces her as the model KM. I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, oh, sure. re- Maybe, okay. regardless, yeah. I think that you know her lack of agency i think that there is a lack of agency or absolutely where yeah she's just she's just done where yeah. she's she's lost that a long time ago she's so used to being put in uncomfortable horrible situations that she, you know she's probably had pictures taken of her in a cave before she doesn't flinch right when he wants to take a peek at her nipple yeah and then we get into mr shit's artistic his fashion 
his artistic flair yeah. where, there, th- I where have... all of a sudden this character switches from this impossibly gross unrelatable character to all of a sudden he's like oh like he's like framing he's the her, and, her again <laughs> yeah he's, he's, where he's doing that and he yeah. he seems to like have developed these abilities mm-hmm. of you know having vision and i mean he just like drapes shit over her but he puts together this whole new outfit for her which i mean i'm sure we need to talk about we do need to the, talk about the movie's that. dealing <laughs> with nudity that's also kind of um what happens in notre dame de Paris, though right where the quasimodo saves esmeralda what <laughs> he just like starts playing around with her clothes and dresses her up no does, does that actually happen? No, I was joking. Oh, okay. I was <laughs> like, makes her walk to, walk that, up and down the aisles of Notre Dame. But that, that, sounds, that sounds like something that would be in the Disney version of the movie. <laughs> but no, what I mean is that um, he saves her, but then falls in love with her, right? And then and then is rebuffed and etc. And so uh, if we're thinking about Monsieur Merritt as, as saving uh, Kay from this life, I think she wants. I th- at the very least, the, the way Ava Mendes seems to read the read it is that she wants out of the world she's in, mm-hmm. and that's it. Right. So uh, I guess all I was saying is that then when he kind of starts replicating the world that she was in, right. that to me sounds like Quasimodo being like, "Hey, I just saved you from a whole lot of lecherous men, and right. now I'm leching on you." Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's totally true. And there's so much going on, um, particularly with what he chooses as fashion. And Caroline and I were talking about this when we when we watched it. I think, um, like, the the first full disclaimer that needs needs to be made here is that um, uh, having a scene that um, deals specifically with like monstrosity and the fear of the other, and including a burqa in uh, France, in a yeah, in a French film where burqas are publicly illegal as of 2010. Um, that's that's playing with stakes that um, this director, um, Eva Mendez and Denny Levant, are not really culpable for in, in ways. So I, I think it might be a little bit irresponsible at the very least um, and um, in line with a lot of very, frankly, racist, <laughs> uh, racist fucking notions about particularly... Uh, head coverings, burkas, the cultural reasons and meanings behind them, and the reasons that you know individuals yeah. choose or do not choose to wear. Yeah, these he seems really invested in her modesty. Like he, well, you know, it, like the thing is, is like you know, so giving that sort of that caveat of me being like I'm super uncomfortable with a white French film, <laughs> which we can call this, yeah. <laughs> realistically directed by a man, directed by a man. Uh, um, playing with that kind of stuff. I do think he's trying to say something that would actually be controversial to his French audience. I th- Because I think he's actively... I mean, it's not the burqa first. First, it's the Virgin Mary type thing, which is what it well, ends on. Yeah, cover, well, it's covering her bust primarily. That's his big concern. He yeah, needs to cover the, up her chest. And then you've got this head yeah. wrap... Uh, that that she kind of looks like the Virgin Mary, and it ends with um, you know him naked, boner, in a pieta position, right? Which is the the position of the vir- the it's the the art the art term or whatever for Italian um, sculptures and paintings that particularly Italian boner works, yeah, <laughs> boner works that that depict the Virgin Mary with her boner, um, cradling uh, <laughs> cradling the dead Christ just off of the cross, right? Pieta. Uh, meaning piety or compassion um, or pity. Pity, yeah. Um, and uh, so associating, uh, like, you know, the notions of 
Christian modesty, right? The Virgin Mary as this sort of saintly hagiographic figure is based entirely off of the fact that she birthed a god without fucking, right? Modesty is obviously super important here. So I think Carax is trying to say something about like, look at this, the thing that we have made so monstrous that we literally can't have it on our Parisian streets. It is a similar kind of weird, psychosexual, uh, culturally uh, deep expression that is no less or no more criticizable than the fashion industry's representation of womanhood, of, of the Virgin Mary's representation of saintly womanhood. I think he's trying to actually be good with it. Yeah. But I, I, I really, I, I think that because this is, uh, you know, as we've been, we've been talking about this particular one for so long, because so much shit is thrown on the wall here yeah. that he just wants to see what sticks in a lot of ways. And I think that maybe trafficking in the image of the burqa is not a great idea <laughs> at the very least i mean it could have been its own its own shorter but longer than it was film and maybe done a little more nuanced and a little more sensitive well that's the thing i mean after after um uh, uh his short in tokyo he actually wanted to make an entire Mr. Shit movie mm. um, with Kate Moss in America. <laughs> Mr. Shit's holiday. Like <laughs> <laughs> Weekend at Mr. Shit's. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that in many ways uh, there's there's so much that he wanted to say with this um, that that it it gets it's it's super uncomfortable, which I think he was probably just like, oh, OK, well, great. <laughs> be uncomfortable then <laughs> but as for i mean like we can i i can defend this more but like ava mendez's performance i really the reason i love it is because i think she's capable of communicating a level of defiance in her expression the way that she stares um in the cave even right and the way that she stomps that fucking burka out in that cave right like that is a fucking legit catwalk right she nails that so again you've got all of these sort of consonances and harmonies about like what is the catwalk what is the clothes on the woman. What is the fashion? I didn't, I didn't see her stare as defiant. I saw it as as um, resigned. Like docile. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. I saw it as. I think she's very docile in that, like, it's very like the sort of like like drugged out model type. Thing. That that's exactly what I saw, and that made me extremely uncomfortable. I'm interpreting this as a negative thing, not right. as a not as defiance, but as a I literally cannot cope with my life. I've drugged myself into oblivion, and that terrible things happen to me every day, yeah. and I'm resigned to it. She's Yeah, okay, yeah and, yeah. and and then, as far as I knew, because this was yeah. the first time I saw the movie, I thought I was about to see a rape scene. I and think I was like, oh, okay. I think it goes out of its way to make you think that. Right, and the, yeah. and the fact that she was not reacting in like a scary way she was yeah. she was like okay well it's it's gonna happen again so i'm right. just gonna resign myself yeah. to it mm. i was horrified yeah yeah the... and then the the hair chewing i think is metaphorical rape right like i think that that is the, this is a and like you said that's the only time where she kind of mm. breaks to the point where this is strange she she doesn't break too much but yep. she at least kind of you know she kind of just acknowledges went, like, where is this going <laughs> right yeah and that's to me that that said that this is the first time that this hasn't immediately gone to something right. sexual, and as a result, this is the first time that my eyes don't glaze over anymore, and mm. I'm actually paying attention. Well, to it's that really way. telling that like in the scene that we're reading as like potential rape, she doesn't flinch. That's what but, I'm saying. Yeah, but he, exactly. but when he does something right. like so weird that she's like, oh, I've never had this before. That's exactly yeah. that's okay. exactly yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Right. So yeah, and I mean, you get both of your readings in the very last image because yeah. it's her taking the burqa off right kind of 
Like Singing being like, lullaby. okay, well now I'm taking off my hair again. I'm right. you know, pulling off the fake eyelashes because yeah. I don't need this costume anymore. Mm-hmm. But she's like, she's sort of a swage, softly sexually assaulting kind of personality. Right, and then she's she's stroking his hair, and we don't know if it's like mm-hmm. Stockholm syndrome or if it's just getting by or if it's just trying to get him to sleep so that she can leave and then you know go back to work the next day. The last thing I don't know if anybody has anything to say about it is the one piece of costuming about Mister Shit when he's naked, is he's got a giant blacked out tattoo. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do we have anything for that? It looks like, it looks, it honestly looks like he got shitty wing tattoos in high school. (laughs) And he was was like, can't do it anymore. (laughs) But like, that doesn't fit at all with the character. That guy doesn't have tattoos. Yeah. I I don't know. I I tried thinking about it and then I was like, (laughs) (laughs) I just worked so hard on the birthday thing. (laughs) (laughs) But the other thing that I wanted wanted to mention, I I think it's really interesting that you read the, the hair eating as sort of a metaphorical rape because what are the other two things he eats? Money and flowers. You have the image of the business of art on one hand and the image of the object of beauty, which is exactly what you're saying about Ava Mendez, is that she's a per- this, this character is, is someone that is resigned to being that in the economy of art, which is sad and fucked up. The f- first horrifying thing we see is him bite. That's his mouth. The second time we see him eat flowers off of a grave, which I think is more significant than flowers on a bush. Graves <laughs> that have all, like, websites. Like, visit yes, my website. Yes, yeah, visit, yeah. Which is another in the future Whole type of thing. thing right? Let's be honest. If I die tomorrow, my <laughs> right, yeah, Netflix. That's what I mean. It's 15 minutes from now. Netflixblog.wordpress.com. <laughs> now I have to maintain. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Um, anyway, yeah, and so so flowers off of her grave, and then the money from her purse, filthy lucre, yeah, from her purse, yeah, uh, and then and so I guess what I mean is that his his weapon this whole time has been his mouth, right? So it's it's a it's a weaponized horrifying thing that, mm. and then so when he turns it on her mm. in a very strange way, um, that I mean honestly, it it couldn't. It, it had to have been that. It had to have been hair. You know, it couldn't have been flesh again, mm-hmm. but it had to have been his mouth. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm reading it as a metaphorical attack. Just because it's the, the last thing that, that we see him do, I'm just going to just gonna make one last argument for just the whole thing being super pretentious, and that's how we're supposed to read it, is when he's naked with his raging heart on, mm. and he starts littering himself, like draping himself yeah. with leaves. Yeah. With yeah, he looks, flowers. He looks like so, an asshole. That was so it's the fucking Pieta, though. Is that what it is? It it's, is. It's, it's, it's seriously. Look up the yeah. Pieta. Every single Pieta. It's fucking. It's the Virgin Mary, in that kind of silhouette. So he's doing that. Cradling the head so, of a dead Christ. But yeah, but, so, yeah, but so, the Pieta doesn't have any leaves draped over it. That's what Dylan's saying. Is oh, that it's the leaves? It's him, it's him putting leaves on himself, making it even better. Right, but that's yeah. that's the pretentious but, part for sure. Right, like you're saying specifically. Yeah, specifically the the draping of himself is just like this like pretentious. Absolutely. Yeah. Like crazy. Yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Also, uh, it, someone at our viewing party pointed out that it was a prosthetic penis, and had they not, I totally would not have thought of that. Yeah. I would it's have actually really that. funny that you say that, too, because I read, I, I was reading a bunch of interviews with, with Ava Mendez, and at least two of them, people were like, so were you uncomfortable? And she's like immediately like, it was a prosthetic. Like, wh- come on. <laughs> like, movie magic, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> we're actors. 
Yeah, no, but it never it never occurred to me that that would be the case. I actually was like, it must have been difficult to maintain that. That's really on. something. That's, I think that really says something about like Denis Levant's like, acting that you're like. I actually think that, <laughs> that motherfucker will roll in there with a boner. He'll do it. Well, no, I actually think that that says more about the fact that I don't have a penis and that I don't know how they work and that I was just kind of like <laughs> that could also be that's true. that's it how was, that works. So like <laughs> it did it did occur to me, and this was part of where I was like a little impressed with him. Like, and I was thinking it was as an actor, but maybe I was just it was like self-loathing a little bit. I was like. <laughs> That is consistently hard. Like, <laughs> he's like, like falling asleep and it's just like not even moving. Yeah, that was it's the thing. At 90 like, degrees. There, there was a lack of motion without yeah. incentive. Yeah. And with like a long shot on him where he's not like he's not like doing his kegels to keep it up or anything. Like he's got a hard like squeeze on the whole time. <laughs> we have got some questions for Denny Levant, that's for sure. Uh, Monsieur Levant. <laughs> uh, how do you keep so Levant? <laughs> Good one. And <laughs> yeah, that's it. We're done. Drop all these mics on the floor. Okay, so the next sequence is. How is there more of this movie? <laughs> we're like we're fourth. That's the fourth I one. Know, I know. We're fucked. <laughs> all right, so I, I don't think there's too much to say about the next one. The next sequence I've called "Super Sensitive Dad." Um, it's the one where, Terrible dad. where he goes to pick up his daughter at yes. the party yeah. and then gives her the business I, I think, about being like a shit slut. I think, yeah, I think this one is like <laughs> such an incredible. I mean, particularly its placement after mm. the Mr. Shit thing, um, which is, as we've kind of been talking about, all about sort of male artistry uh, and the use of the of of, oh. of the woman's body, right? Um. And here you have something that I like. I find that scene so fucking heartbreaking. Like monstrosity and shit. I'm used to that stuff. I dig that. Let's let's get going with some horrible monsters doing horrible shit. But a dad just being a piece of shit to his sad, lonely daughter who's shy, trying to yeah. navigate like the so, like that's a very real horror, yeah. an everyday nasty thing. Um, and and the fact that like I, I, I the way I read um, Oscar's kind of like silence at the end, putting the music back on, I read it as very self-loathing i think mm. it's 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 an assignment that he that he hated that and it's why one of the it's why i think it's interesting that you think that everyone involved are actors because i really get the impression that some of these appointments are no because i just don't believe that this daughter this like this daughter sees this man once a week who she thinks is his dad or her dad and uh really is right i think that i think that in order to accept that this is a consistent thrill you have to kind of believe in some temporal magic that like he's right. dropping in and out of these people's lives. Like you're okay. So Star well, Trek fans, on. any Star Trek fans? I kind of. Okay, <laughs> so like the idea that you can like dip in and out of like holographic stories and you come back and you're just picking it up right where you oh, left off. Like you're, that's the kind oh, of magic see, that you well, have to believe in if if you believe that these characters are all real. But then, no, I don't. I don't believe. Okay. I don't believe that that fits the consistency of the movie. But right. but hold on. Okay, for consistency of the movie, we haven't gotten to the Alex sequence yet, where he assassinates a literal double of himself. Mm-hmm. But then the double that he assassinated, assassinates him, mm-hmm. and then gets in the is the one who gets in the car. No, no remember, remember, Isn't it? no. Am remember? I confusing myself? Yes, we while while we were watching it, we were like, is that the same guy? And then we saw it. No, it was it was our guy. It was Mr. Yeah. Oscar gets back. He just gets stabbed and gets up and like, yeah, you're yeah. right, you're okay. right, yeah. you're right. Yeah, but regardless, there's a double of him, right? Right. right. But we'll, and yeah, they found we'll a double. Back they found okay. a double. <laughs> so bad dad guy though. <laughs> um, yeah. It also just helps me sleep better thinking that this is a uh, this little girl is uh, an actor as well. Yeah, it's why it horrifies me so much because yeah. I think she's real. Yeah, I I get that feeling too, mainly because of what comes later when we meet actual people who we're fairly sure are actors. Right. Um. But my 
my feeling on this one, and this is the last rendezvous before my theory starts to kind of go out the window, where I have a much harder time placing what it is that's trying to be said about movie making. Right. I felt like this character was just like, he was mean in an unnecessary kind of way, where there was drama being forced out of a situation that there didn't need to be any. Right. And so that was kind of an indictment of like overly dramatic yep. movies. Or, just like, or reality or, shows where they have to constantly be like, conflict, conflict, conflict. Sure. I was thinking more like, I hate this phrase so much. I really do because I don't believe that it exists. But like Oscar bait movies mm-hmm. where it's like, we're going to take something and it seems so like it's the relationship between a father and his daughter mm-hmm. and he's kind of a piece of shit. But then you learn something about like how he was treated badly when he was a kid. Yeah. Like it seemed overwrought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that I like, that's what it felt to me. Like they were trying to say is like, you know, sometimes things are just mundane. You don't have to explode everything into mm. the biggest deal ever. Where True. he like he's like, you know, I have to punish you for lying to me. And your punishment is that you have to wake up tomorrow and look at yourself in the mirror, you ag- piece of garbage. Yeah. I agree with that. But I also think that this is actually, uh, and I don't know if the filmmaker knows this. I hope so. But um, that does seem overwrought. But that is literally what growing up as a girl it's is. It's fucking real. Right? And I think when yeah. when when Adam uh, pointed out the juxtaposition between um, how women are treated by the media, mm. uh, literally what this dad is doing is setting his daughter up for the life that she's about to have exactly. as an adult. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And so this overwroughtness and about uh, being like, why weren't you like, dads the life are of that the party? Shit. Yeah. That's this, the sad like horror of that. Seriously happens. <laughs> Yeah, and this is that's what I just growing had a up daughter, as a girl. So I gotta take notes. Yeah, yeah, please do. Just don't please do this. Do. So if she goes to a party, make sure she dances with all the boys. Okay. Well, yeah, like check in, that... treat her like garbage if she. <laughs> and that, yeah, and that's the thing is that I mean, all he had to do because she she set up lying, knowing that this was gonna happen, right? Yeah, she started she's sprinkling lying. sprinkling the this... glitter on herself outside of the party. Yeah, because the, this has happened before, and this will happen again, and this will happen for the rest of her life because she is not the popular girl, and she constantly will be, and I use scare quotes for this, disappointing the men in her life as a result. So do you think that he knows that and is therefore like, I mean, this is... Are we talking about the character? I'm saying like, yeah, is the character, does the character know that and is trying to like harden her to the realities of the world or is he just perpetuating a garbage? He's trying to get her to learn how to be sociable and popular. He is a cog in the patriarchal machine who is uh, advancing the patriarchal agenda, whether or not he understands it or knows it. And if you called him out on it, he would deny it. Right, because he wouldn't understand it. Yeah. He would say, no, like, this is what you do. Yeah, that's, this is how that's you his be normal. Yeah. How She's going to be a lonely nerd her whole life if she doesn't learn this. Right, and he, he, I think he even says something like, how are you supposed to be successful or something? Like, something I think, like that, I, think yeah. he, I think he makes it not even about, you know, like, romance or something. I think no, no. He makes, he makes it about, like, success in life. Yeah. Because uh, I don't think it was about, like, you didn't fuck any boys at the party. It was about you not being sociable and what what this girl is expected to be as, yeah. as a sociable girl of her age group is dancing with boys at this party. And But I'm, what I'm saying is that, that this is not that noteworthy i don't think it's that melodramatic yeah. right and so yeah exactly it's not overwrought it's not that noteworthy but it is a, a section of of life that you probably aren't privy to unless you've experienced it and that's why the my reality show um theory rings true again because it's this type of base human emotion that and base human conflict and all these things that we are not actually supposed to be privy to literally privy to these are supposed to be private things private angst private traumas that Mm. you grew up with that are now being broadcast live like we want to see these people have breakdowns that's what reality show is right so i'm i'm wondering though because you've both said that this movie is like a reality show and that things have gone according to script 
So do you think that he's going in with an idea of how things are supposed to go and he's supposed to kind of get it to the end point no matter what? I just mean that or reality is... shows are scripted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is true. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but I mean, like, do, do you feel like he actually has any agency or is he following a script? Like, or is he improvising as he's doing this or is he showing up and just trying to do what he can with the material that, or is he, like, just good at his job? working with the material okay well no i think i mean i think and i i really like your reading about this being all about and i think obviously it is but uh as well I, I, that's also my opinion but i really like your reading about it just being um a commentary on filmmaking in general and i also think that it's important to remember that the relationship that the director has with this actor is such that obviously they love each other and they do a lot of work together and all of that to me, would mean that when he gets those folders, when Monsieur Oscar gets those folders before he puts on the character's costume, um, we see it just, I think just at the end is when we get a, a good look at what they kind of are. It's basically just, here's the character's name, um, here's your wife's name or whatever, and here's like the picture of whatever, right? And so I think that he gets kind of like these bare minimum prompts and that he's supposed to go and improvise, but there's a kind of uh, and I think that this is exactly what happens in reality TV, too, by the way, that they put a bunch of people in this situation and they're like, OK, by the end of this, you two need to get in a huge argument. However you get there is up to you. Go. Right. And so I think that they're both actors and they're both getting to it as set point that's on the script. And I think everything goes according to script, but that the script is loose. Right. OK. Does so that what make you're sense? saying I think is it's exactly like reality. The, the best analogy possible is that this is like watching professional wrestling in that there is a predetermined outcome, but that the magic that goes on in the ring is anyway. No, bingo, bingo. Yeah. I'm serious. <laughs> I'm, yes. Yeah. Right. So so I keep using the reality show metaphor because it is closer to that because there's less <laughs> kind of sure. I mean, sometimes there is the, the, the violence. Well, uh, reality TV poses itself as real whereas yes. wrestling isn't yes, actually is. trying to convince everyone that this is real right, right. it's real to me damn it. <laughs> well you know what i mean by no, real i don't know i don't want to get letters either so but yeah no it's both though right yeah. I'm, i mean i assume that a french filmmaker is probably uh copying or like being inspired more by reality tv than there by the wwe but yes yeah this is all what i'm right. saying is that there's an end goal we know that mcfoley has to throw like he he's going to lose how you get there is up to the two of you right so uh Let's move on. The next thing that we see is one of my favorite sequences in the whole movie. I don't really have anything to say about it, except that it's goddamn wonderful. It's the halftime show. <laughs> where Oh, yeah. The accordion sequence. Yeah, the accordion where sequence. Is it, okay, so is it Oscar doing the accordion thing, or is that Denis Lavant? Or is it Denis Lavant? Who knows? Because oh, that's yeah. a fun one, where it's just like, you're doing this. Like, was yeah. this a job? Or is, but no, it doesn't actually, count. There is a title card that says, like, intermission. Yeah, it's not counted. Yeah, no. it's not one of the nine. So right. maybe this is just, like, the, the <laughs> Monsieur Oscar's real life when he's not on camera is just constantly playing the Fucking accordion. accordion the shit with his homies. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that'd be great. In a single tracking shot the whole time. That's his life. <laughs> single track yeah. shot, accordion. I think I like it better that it's Denny Levant because then it's just like, hey, you know, like, it turns out that, like, eight of us play the accordion <laughs> anybody, anybody else have any instruments all right so so you know we got an extra day to shoot let's yeah. do it he does when he does the countdown for the drop too it's he goes melt he doesn't he says do's melt he goes one twelve shit right but when we were watching it adam we were talking about how there's the one guy off to the left who's just like who's rocking the fuck out yeah it's like when you see videos of like wedding bands where the drummer is way more into it than everybody else yeah, that guy cares more than anybody or wants people to know he's caring. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
All right, so the next one is the the rendezvous I've labeled Mobster Guy. So you've been counting. Yes. Okay, so the two characters yes. that, that are in this, like the like our guy and his doppelganger, are, I guess, not a doppelganger because there isn't, like, a explosion or something right, when, when they, they meet each, each other. other. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, there kind of is. Well, I think it's a double. Wait, wait, wait. But do- doppelgangers, only one has to die. It doesn't It doesn't That's say true. It doesn't say that there's going to be a spontaneous exception. Just one has to die. Okay, okay. fair so enough. It does all right, work. so his doppelganger. I yeah. think that's, I think that, and like this, th- this goes for my theory that they're all just robots and that there's millions of Oscars. Um, <laughs> and when they meet up, one has to die. So like that little girl is living her life with millions of dads who are all just playing the same role. Okay. And they're just subbing in? Yeah, tagging in and out. Uh, mo capping so for one another. So, okay, so, so is... So I guess that is your answer then. Like, is that like, are you are you being cute or is that no, your no, actual I, like read on? Well, I am being cute, but I'm not, but I'm but that, that is my <laughs> earnest, downright adorable. <laughs> that is my actual read of the film. I right, guess. because yeah. the other alternative is that he's playing two roles at the same time, or he recorded one before and they somehow just got, they just got a double. They just, just, just got a like guy him. who looks like him. Yep, who did a lot of makeup as well. I guess. It's yeah. possible. Just right. Like a, well, I've like a double I mean, in in movies. Right, and the, there is actually one scene. There's one moment where you see very clearly that it's a double, which is why I think they're kind of playing. Where? It's when uh, when he first like leans down to start shaving him. You can see like a quarter of his uh, face, and you're like, "That's not the fucking guy." <laughs> I yeah. didn't even notice. And yeah. because like the movie's so intentional about what's in the frame and what's yes, not, I yes. felt like that was kind of like intentional, interesting. Like, uh, like oh, blooper, because so. we're trying. Like, the- if this one is making a statement, it's mm. about movie magic, right? And like shock and things like that. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and I mean, like, uh, we spend so much time watching him put these amazing looking disguises on, right? Mm-hmm. That, uh, and 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 even is it that one where he puts on an entire face? There's one where he puts on an entire No, that face. was that was Mr. Mayard. Anyway, he he's always putting on prosthetics to the point where I wasn't sure what he actually looked like and uh, because of that, I just figured that it's very easy for that face to be replicated onto someone else. And so I knew right away that this is a, a, another guy. <laughs> yeah, Danny Lamont's horrible craggy mire of a face. <laughs> right. just, you can just slap that on anybody. <laughs> no, seriously, like they just give it does look like a Halloween mask. Right, right. but yeah. when you when you see the guy that he sent to kill, you know it's him right away, right? Yes. Yeah. Did yeah. you? Yeah. So yeah. But but what I what I mean is that I mean you know it's him but I think that in in this universe that I'm saying where all of these are actors it's this is just champ. this is Dylan dressed up to look like Monsieur Oscar. Right. This is the rendezvous where I started really like I got like determined to solve this mm. which I've now given up on. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> because yeah, absolutely this is the point where it gets almost impossible. Yeah, this is the point where it becomes like yeah. basically indecipherable where yeah. like you cannot nail down a mythology to this universe right. anymore yeah. unless you know unless you have it's a reality show and <laughs> unless But even then it's hard to tell when the scenes actually are. And this is where we also start to see <laughs> the the presence of like the, either the supernatural or or the immortality or whatever it is mm. that allows him to be Shot stabbed in the times, neck or neck, yeah. or it's all just the movie, movie magic. magic. Yep, that's what I that's I maintain that it is movie magic. Mm-hmm. And uh, okay, so with it being movie magic, is that then it's him kind of being so into it that it takes him a while to come back out of it. Like when he's like scrambling up the car ramp to get back into the limo, that's just him kind of coming down from the experience of putting himself into a death space to play that part. Uh, no, I actually think that's still being filmed yeah, and that's still on so, TV. Yeah, right, right, right. Okay. Your reality show thing is actually kind of working out in the moment because I'm thinking yeah, ahead here and like, yeah. it's like as soon as he hits the limo, it's like, okay, challenge over yes, kind of thing. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah. Huh. 
Mm-hmm. I like that. Because that, that, that becomes relevant. See, suck my dick. You both non-believers, and now (laughs) I'm not converted. (laughs) So then the the next one, and this is where I I really, Caroline, you mentioned that you kind of had a hard time remembering what his face looked like, Mm -hmm. and that's where in this scene, which afterwards I think, like I now understand that that is another rendezvous that he had, which is killing the banker at the bistro. Yeah. But at first, he's it seems like they're on their way to a bistro, or they're on their way to the next rendezvous. Yes. And then he's like, wait, 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 pull over a second. Let's go. And he gets out and guns the guy down. And I actually thought that that was Oscar being like, oh yeah, I've got to finish off this other thing from, Mm. from this morning. Oh, interesting. Right. Because he says like, I'm going to meet you at such and such a place. Right. That's what he says to the guy on the phone call. Right. That's the first thing he does. He puts on his Bluetooth and he says, I'll meet you at this restaurant. Mm. So that's either him finishing the job from earlier which at that point I still believed, I still thought that is his right. actual identity because that's when he's given these roles, right? Yeah, yeah. What if he's speaking to another actor and the other? I think that, yeah, I think yeah. that's definitely the, the case is that yeah. the guy he's he's doing a hit on is is an actor, and yeah. that's that's what you're saying. He's calling, he's being like, "I'll meet you at this bistro, dude," and like, right? Yeah. And like that's what like now after the fact, it's so know, I can you shoot piece you. you piece that together, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But at the time, you're like, shit, did he yeah. just <laughs> straight yeah. up like shoot kill Where a guy? Where do I get a ski yeah. mask with barbed wire on it? I know. That's what I want. I know, know that he keeps touching like stop touching it <laughs> stop picking at it just make it worse no he just you know grabbed it from the slipknot tour van <laughs> so the next rendezvous is uh just call this mr bogan because we actually hear the dude's name and uh this is the one where it's the the elderly gentleman yes where at first i was like, like a deathbed scene i was like is this motherfucker's job to just go to bed i know because i didn't <laughs> realize he was dying because i mean at that point you're watching oscar go into the bed and i was yeah, like yeah but then yeah it's the a thing. it's a deathbed scene that mm-hmm. i didn't really care too much about and this one as well was all line blurry and frustrating because he makes reference to other rendezvous as he's laying there dying what really it's definitely the the like most boring of the assignments. Except I think it, but it's so revealing in for my uh, my reality TV theory that I was really happy to see it. It was very validating. Like the for very me. very end of yeah. that when he's like, I gotta go. Sorry, it was so nice it, working with. It you. wasn't yeah, because yeah. it was good. It was because it fit the mold that you wanted. <laughs> to <laughs> Nothing I like is because it's good. It's because it makes me feel good about <laughs> about it makes myself. Me feel intelligent. Yeah, exactly. It makes it validates me. <laughs> so what he says is, so he's laying there as she walks up, and he says, "I forbid you to lie," which is him responding to his daughter before oh right then, well there's a lot of repeated and lines. then you should have deliberately not done it theo which is the guy that he killed in the garage the guy who he stabbed in the neck was theo oh so he he so... specifically like by name calls back to the last two wow. rendezvous that he's had so it's like in his uh, in his like lack of lucidity oscar playing this character is like I need to come up with something crazy. Uh, let's just call back to these two things that have right. nothing to do with it. Yeah. yeah. So so he's like calling on something genuine within himself to sound crazy. Hmm. That's and cool. if it's a reality show, it's like a call out to all that's, the that's to all the all the fans. That's what I was yeah, gonna so say. Like, oh! Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're watching the reality oh, show. You're like, yes, I remember that. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, episode uh, three point two. Uh, was a callback for all the listeners. You're so pushing then that's thanks, Adam. That's the niece, right? Yeah. Okay. So then she goes in here. Are you gonna? Oh, are you watching it? I gonna... completely forgot that she. Yeah, I, re- I remember this part, but. Yeah, and then she takes off her like dress, and she's wearing a nurse's outfit. Right. 
So that's why I thought she was a nurse. No. Oh, that's her. That's her changing from her last appointment. Yes. It's, yeah. Yeah. Oh, motherfucker. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Oh, so he's just settling in. Then why is he talking like that? Oh, he's just getting into character. Maybe. Sorry, we are live figuring this out okay, right so here. <laughs> oh, so so that part that you just showed where he's where he's just talking. That's rambling, as she walks that's in. That's before. That's yeah, as she so, walks in. Yeah, so he's just getting into character. I don't think I don't think we're cameras rolling yet on on that. Gotcha. I thought you said the camera's rolling like the second he's out of the fucking limo. Uh, well, I think okay, so cameras are always rolling, but I don't know if the guys who in uh, right. BoJack Hor- Horseman is Shady Salinger <laughs> behind the boards when they're like and camera two, up, right. you know. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I think it might be live. Honestly, I think this the reality show is just like a it's like the Truman Show or whatever. Oh, you know? like okay. it's a constantly. Like, yeah, you're you, losing me on your theory. Once you make what? it live, why? Like, no liar, because listen, when when he gets out of the limo and shoots that guy real time. All of those people around there aren't like, ah, like they, they don't lose their shit, right? Mm, Nobody mm. goes that crazy mm. because I think that everybody's kind of like, hey, it's one of those performances that is on television live. Mm. Every Like this is a weird but, universe but, where every single thing is a spectacle. I'm just saying, yeah, but, 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 I agree with that. But Celine also like comes up and is like, hey guys, don't like relax. This is just like a prank that went wrong or something like that. Like she, she, she does, does she does yeah. feel like she needs to do some crowd control. Yeah. Right. To, to an extent, I, I I'm think... sure. But like the, but what I'm saying is that it's all spectacle in that like the people watching it are aware of what's going on. And when she comes up and says, it's a, it's a prank or whatever, they're all like, oh, it's one of those things, right? Like we mm. just got punked, right? Like I it's... think it's definitely, yeah. I don't well because like this works with my robot thing too because for me the reason I'm thinking this whole they're robots or whatever whatever they are they're machines of some kind right um, in the sense that uh, you know you, you constantly get this thing it's about it's about like machines we can't see them anymore you can't see the cameras you can't see anything right and so yeah I, I completely agree with you that this universe is all about spectacle right so people are used to this kind of unseen non-beheld entertainment yep. happening all around them constantly and it's just sort of like a fact of life i right. definitely well think and also well, when yeah. that when that scene happened we were watching it someone in the room said you would not be able to film that now because of what's happened in paris recently right, right? Yeah. and um that made me think about how every time that you there that someone is interviewed after a terrorist attack everyone every one of these interviews someone will say i thought i was watching a movie right like i thought yes. they were filming a movie yeah and 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 that's what i think that's supposed to be mm. and i think that that works entirely with my reality show 24 7 you turn it on what's mr oscar doing right now mm. on the mr oscar channel mm. and that's another reason why his nine appointments are are, are constant right like he he is never not at an appointment mm. so the cameras are always rolling whether or not the guys who are back at the studio are saying, okay, that looks good, turn on, you know, number two, because there's going to be cam- uh, commercial breaks, right? Mm-hmm. This is like a live sport. And mm. sometimes we have commercial breaks when, you know, he's in the limo or whatever, and sometimes not. Right. So I get that. At, at the very least, you know, their lack of reaction or their, their incredibly subdued reaction goes back to what we were talking about earlier with film and spectacular media kind of overriding real events mm. because these people are conditioned at this point where it's very much like a boy cried wolf situation where they see a shooting and their first thought is is this a reality show or mm-hmm. is this real and mm-hmm. then once somebody says yeah yeah don't worry about it then they're fine mm-hmm. like that's that's the point that they're at in their mm-hmm. lives mm-hmm. uh but i think like i think it's a comment on now right yeah. like i think that that's no, where we are now 
and 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 Celine, we haven't talked about Celine at all, and I, I don't know if we're gonna loop back around to her, but there are a couple yes. times, and this is one of the times where she runs up and she's like, oh my god, are you okay? You know, she doesn't really understand what's happened because she is not, you know, she's just the driver. She knows where we're supposed to go, and certain things interrupt that, right? And that's what that's the only part where I don't entirely understand what's happening with Celine. And there's so much, so much more to her character. Adam pointed out when we were watching the part where, you know, she she gets to see Paris. Like she's looking at Paris, and she tells him at some point, "Oh, it's so beautiful. Do you want to see it?" And he, she puts down that screen, and we're we're seeing Paris through the screen. And clicks the night vision on too. Right. Yeah. And so there's there's this. I I don't know where to put Celine in my reading of this, and I think that that is the coolest thing that the movie is doing. Hmm. Is that Celine is as confused as we are at some points and i i just think she's a really interesting character that throws a wrench in the movie regardless of which person you believe sitting at this table right now right yeah totally and, and i mean you know all of his assignments are aside from him killing himself are with women i think be they actresses or real nice. people or whatever um so celine is kind of this this other presence is super fascinating, and, and, and if this is all, you know, if, if the movie is constantly sort of interested in these sorts of the power dynamics uh, in entertainment, in art, whatever, uh, between men and women, then you have this really fascinating relationship between Oscar and Celine where... It's very motherly at some points. It's very interesting, I mean... You need to eat. Yeah, way. yeah, she's kind of keeping keeping him sane, and he definitely seems to trust her, and you have that scene where I think it might actually be just after the... Shooting? The scene, where, the, the shooting that we're talking about, actually, uh, where he's he's saying, "Oh my God, it's almost midnight. We have to laugh. We have to. Oh yeah, yeah. We have to laugh bef- yeah. at something before this night is out." Um, uh, you know, here you have this actor who's in all of these scenes trying to wring out all of this humanity, trying to give you all this pathos, and he feels completely bereft of it himself. Um, and what ends up happening is like a, a bird flies in front of the, the car or something. She swerves and, and then Oscar makes a joke. I don't even remember what the joke is. Um, and then he starts laughing and Celine starts really laughing. And then they both start kind of laughing. But the entire time, uh, and again, credit to, to Edith Scobb, the, the, the actress that plays Celine. Um, she's every time, all, when she's laughing, she's constantly looking in the rearview mirror. And, and the second Oscar stops laughing, she composes herself and stops wow. laughing. Um, so it's it's motherly, but she's clearly she's in awe of him, right? Like oh, she okay. she thinks that like she, I think she thinks she's this amazing star in a lot of ways, right? right. So um, do you think it's that, or do you think it's more of a, a business thing where she, where, where she's like a producer, or I mean, we see it more oh. with like there's an actual producer that he gets taught. Well, there's the actual producer, but I mean, yeah. maybe even more like a like a handler, like, yeah, like a handler right. or like a roadie who he's developed she gets affection to go for, home. or yeah, yeah, definitely she gets to go home. Yeah, a handler would be a good way of putting it. I was thinking also, like, you know, you get that with, I'm thinking of, like, Almost Famous, you know, where you have, like, the manager of mm. the band. It's, like, mm. the one whose job it is to keep everything together, make sure everything runs on track, and right. tempers the artist just enough to keep them on schedule while right. still leaving them free to kind of be their own person. Right. And, so, you know, that, well, I think that, that works really well, right? Even if it's not, even if she's not starstruck by this guy, right? Like, okay, we got to have this human moment, make him feel alive. <laughs> okay, well, he's done laughing, right? Yeah, like, I mean, she is an employee of his, right? So she's got to she be... She seems to be lower she's an empo- on the scale. She's, I, yeah, I think she's an employee of the agency. I don't right. think she yes. works for him. No. Well, I mean, indirectly. Like, if she pisses him off, she could lose her job, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, we don't need to come up with another name for her. She's the chauffeur. 
right? That's her job. She's every, everything that she's right. doing is is in the chauffeur's responsibilities. It has yeah, to get that's him true. to yeah, the the real chauffeur who handles way more than just driving. That's true. So we started getting into to Mr. Vogan. Got a little distracted by my, I got thrown off in my timelines <laughs> trying to figure out who was what with the nurse and everything. But at the oh, very right. least, he is getting into character by remembering. It could even be like a little bit of unprofessionalism where he's letting the old characters slide into the new character and thinking right. about like, oh, could I have done that differently? Or maybe that's the line that I should have used when I was talking to my daughter. Oh, like, I forbid you to lie because he doesn't actually say that right. directly. That's yes. what I was going to say is I don't um, even if the Netflix like or Netflix, huh, even if the Netflix um, subtitle is translated, I would like to see if the French is identical because I don't actually think mm. that it was. Ident- but anyway, yeah. it's yeah. So, I mean, this scene didn't. Like nothing really resonated with me with this one. The whole scene is the end. Yeah, it's the whole the scene is the end. Yeah, the whole me. scene is the end where he he says, "Okay, sorry, I've got to go," and he gets really up nice and with you. yeah, it was nice working with you. And and he's got to get up and leave, and she stays there. And so I read this as him being behind schedule, and cameras, uh, even if they're you know still rolling, uh, they the producer has cut to commercial at this point, and I need to get the fuck out. And um, she's staying there because that's her job. Do you know what I mean? She is an, another actress. Like mm-hmm. we saw her uh, change from her last right. gig. And and yeah, and this is her job. And she's going to finish that scene and then get up and leave. Yeah, because she stays there grieving in the position. And that's what struck because me as they odd. Because could, they, could they could use some shots from that later. Yeah. Right? Huh. Mm. Neat. Acting. Right. So then, yeah, that does, that does call into question. Like, is it just that we didn't see... You know, the daughter go inside, you put on a different outfit, and then go and do some other gig somewhere else, and just everybody who he's interacting with her actors. That makes a lot more sense than the magical time-shifting world that I had this in. Oh, it's I a lot a- simpler. It's I gotta a- ask something about your reality show thing, because now I'm thinking about the the scene where he's talking to the, the the producer guy who's who's in there, and they have this whole discussion about like I can't see the cameras anymore, like what the fuck. Um, there's um, specifically the guys like people think you are looking kind of tired. They don't believe you anymore. Right. Um, and Which is exactly like WWE. We know that this isn't true, but we want you to be better at it. <laughs> okay. Right? Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Well, because that is an actor's job, right? Like the, what, what we distinguish a good actor or how we distinguish a good actor from a bad actor is their ability to... In, like to be the character that's the difference between like old robert de niro and new robert de niro or like old al pacino and new al pacino like now you have al pacino being al pacino doing a parody of himself in one character as opposed to before it was he was these characters right and adam actually that part that you brought up is what's crystallized for me i think my theory of the reality show because it reminded me of bojack horseman actually where um people now are live tweeting uh reality shows and using the hashtag and the producers are watching these hashtags right. to see what's going on and they're like oh they really like when you know well, Sylvia yeah, and uh, because, Lisa because... get in this fight so let's you know push it put cameras back right. on them right because right. so... Oscar actually asks like who are you talking about and he go and he, he interrupts him and he doesn't answer right exactly and mm. when because the the they the magical they I'm sure is the audience and I'm sure that this is this is live feedback that they're getting and that's that's why I think that this is a constant 24 seven live feed so then how do you read um the way that scene ends where um he's saying uh you know he asks oscar why do you do this and he's like the same reason i've always done it the beauty of the act and he goes because... well they say oh. beauty is is in the eye of the beholder and and oscar replies what 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 about when there's no beholder right okay so i read that as Aliens. 
<laughs> it was alien. I read that as um, the idea of, and this is another Arrested Development quote, where uh, Tobias is selling out his whole family to give the uh, rights to the story to, you know, the um, Scandal Makers show. And uh, and he misunderstands, obviously, uh, what Carl Weathers is saying. And he's like, oh, you want me to play myself? I said I'd never do reality. <laughs> and, <laughs> so that's that's what I see Mr. Monsieur Oscar doing, that I think at some point he was this Al Pacino character, right? Because, you, like you said, he's been working with this director for 30 years. Mm -hmm. So maybe he's even supposed to be himself, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? He's this famous actor with this director. Yeah. And then now he's been, quote-unquote, reduced to uh, being... On reality TV, running, running so, a gauntlet of and, acting, and because, and in this in this dystopian world in the in the near future, nothing exists but reality TV, right? So the the beauty in the eye of the beholder, um, and then what was the last line that he says? What, uh, what's his Oscar replies? What if there is no beholder? What if, what if there is no beholder? Right? Yeah. And so I think that that's all the same. That to Oscar, there's no beholder if it's not the art that he remembers, mm. right? That he wishes he was doing. I'm wondering, like, it may not necessarily be in this world that reality tv is as as like base as we see it now and as like looked down upon like i th i think that these people the just because of how well he takes these characters and how good of a job he does that this could just be this is how entertainment works oh, now. Yes. it doesn't have to necessarily be like that's what i mean yeah. if you're an actor now this is right. what you're doing right but that he's still like among the cream of the crop of the ones doing it, and he's right. actually respected. He's not like yes, you, yes. gross, hiding no, 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 but or yeah. something. Of course, I think he is respected, yeah. and and that the the audience has changed, and that this is what they want. But I don't think I think he remembers a time when that wasn't the case. I think he comes from a and I think and I think another thing that another callback he to this because he's talking all about like there used to be cameras. I yes, used to be able to, exactly. and it, which is this really interesting sentiment where he's saying like I could make myself more believable when I knew it was fake. Right, So yeah. this kind of goes along with, very, it's very interesting. with. How and then another thing too mm. is that Celine, the actress who plays Celine, is uh, an actress from, you were telling me, what, like, who, who is she? She's Edith Scott, well, I mean, this has more to do with the end. How she puts no, I know, but I'm just saying that that's, the fact that they used a, a, an actress in that role, yes. which is a role, she's not on the camera. Yeah, yeah, right? she's a fantastic, uh, well, well-reputed French actress. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so that, I think, is kind of one of those things where you're like, oh, that's that, that's that actress that mm -hmm. we haven't seen in a long time. But remember when she was, she was so beautiful before and everything. Mm. And that's what I think is happening for him, where it's like, oh, uh, you know, it's like when they like when it's always sunny in Philadelphia got Danny Danny DeVito. People were like, "Oh my god, Danny DeVito," right? And it wasn't even it had nothing to do with like what his potential could be for the character, but they were all like, "I remember him from when I was a kid or mm. you know, from well, for me it was from when I was a kid, but for adults, <laughs> it would have been from, you know, the the program he was on 15 years ago or whatever, or from movies from the early 80s." So that's kind of I think that the it's tongue in cheek in for Monsieur Oscar because it's not overtly ever said like he's a very famous actor that has come back, but the fact that that's exactly what they did with Celine um, points at that. You know, it's a it's making the, the it producer more... as well as actually a, a well known French actor. Oh, there as well. you go, there you go. <laughs> if calling him producer, whatever, whatever he is, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think that's all on the nose there to hmm. have it be like these are these are recognizable faces and this is um, it's supposed to make us think about this is what the audience would be thinking too about Monsieur Oscar. Hmm. I don't that's... know I don't know what it is that has me keeping thinking that Monsieur Oscar is good at what he's doing. Like the only thing we hear him get is that little bit of criticism. Hmm. But maybe <laughs> it's just because like he's riding around in this like this plush limousine and things like that that I just I associate that with. But the limousines are used here as 
uh, a metaphor for outmoded technology. I was going to say, I was going right? to say, like, it is. It's a shitty limousine, right? Yeah. Like well, I mean, limousines are shitty. They're, they're yeah. these enormous, fucking useless, goddamn things. Yeah. But I, actually, I think there was an interview that I read with with Kadax where he actually said like. I was kind of insp- part of part of partially I was inspired by this by noticing that limos are only used for weddings now. Yeah. And it's just like, hmm, that's weird. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Except with you know what what this movie does is they take that outdated they take the outdated mode of transportation, mm. they take this outdated form of entertainment, they work together and the cream is still kind of rising to the top. Right. Because he's using this space to transform into these characters. He's taking his craft mobile and he is becoming all these characters using all his old tricks. Like what he's really lamenting with not knowing where the cameras are is not knowing how to act to the cameras. Right. So, but he's still able to, in most cases, very convincingly become these characters. So, you know, so completely that they are believable to us as the audience and to the, Mm this universe's audience as well i agree except for and if i can just jump ahead really quickly the conversation that the limos have together in the parking garage afterwards is did you hear that they're getting rid of us soon Mm, and they're all like oh no that's not true right so even this even the limos are being phased out and what is that saying about the program right like what is that saying about everything else that you're saying is the cream still rising to the top it's it's the juggernaut of technology moving forward it doesn't matter and i think that that's Mr. Oscar realizes that too, and that's why he's lamenting not being able to go into the forest that week, right? The forest, as far as we are concerned, doesn't even exist anymore because it's not popular enough to be on television. Right, yeah. It's at this point, so after Mr. Vogan, that uh, Oscar seems kind of shaken and where Celine offers, like, oh, like you seem like you're getting sick. Let me put on a fire for you. Mm-hmm. And it's this... <laughs> This pathetic electric fire. I don't even know if it's. Adam a, it's said, I can't tell if it's an electric fire or if it's like a TV screen that's just showing a fire. fire. But when, when we were watching the movie, Adam said he's also playing the fire. Forgot <laughs> <laughs> about that. It was so great. Oh, that's your letterbox. That's my letterbox review. review yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, that metaphor keeps going. That like, mm-hmm. oh, like you seem sick. Like you need to get back in touch with your body, and you yes. need warmth. So I'm going to put on this shitty electric flame, <laughs> and that's going to cure all your woes. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, it will warm him. Yeah. That is, it's fun. So then we get to the, depending on how we look at it, either the second last or the last roll. No, I guess the second last roll. The second last rendezvous, which is with Jean, which is Kylie Minogue. Um, Jean? Oh, right. Yes. I thought it was Eva. I think, no, because there's her character. Like there's, is, there's right. Kylie Minogue as the actress, right. and then Kylie Minogue's actress playing another role. Gotcha. I right. don't remember which is which. Yeah, but me either. For this one, it was again like that super blurred line where it was. Where Where does the scene begin? Yeah, like ends? where does the scene begin? At what point are they acting? At what point are they not? Because it seems like it's there's been this brief disruption in the system, and these two people can get together and have a genuine moment where like I haven't seen you in ten years. We haven't had a chance to talk in ten years. We're never going to speak to each other again. Like no, this is makeup. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and it seemed like it was this one genuine moment between people, and then she bursts into fucking song, and then she bursts into song, <laughs> and it becomes this musical yeah moment, and yeah. you're like God damn it either like this is a messed up world we live in or once again you've pulled the rug out from it because again like we don't remember what this guy looks like he's still wearing like the the pajamas from the old man get up yeah well and that's when they rent their their limos crash into each other right and they get out i don't know they they don't crash they they, 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 like get in each other's way they're both stuck in the same like traffic event right right right, (laughs) but i guess yeah yeah that is kind of your first 
clue that this is another challenge is mm. the contrivance of the fact that yeah. you know like yeah. these two limo drivers like if i almost hit somebody i'm not going to get out and talk to them about it i'm going to feel bad and drive away but right. they get out and they provide the opportunity for these two actors to all right your challenge for this week is you're playing yourself yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i don't know why and... he has an accent <laughs> <laughs> but can you imagine like the, these two fan favorites haven't seen each other in so long or whatever the ultimate show. yeah exactly yeah mm. and i mean that would have been yeah, it's a crossover on... episode that's what, what i'm saying is. yeah that's that would have been advertised on both networks for weeks <laughs> as a crossover. My, my like, um, uh, the read that I want to have on this scene, and I refuse to have anyone take it away from me, um, is <laughs> that it's dead hand. It's real. Uh, that you just want Kylie, Kylie Minogue's Minogue, yeah, character just, bursts into song, because, and it just happens because, because she's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that like that you know they. You, you had they had this whole relationship and how's she gonna do it she's gonna sing it that's how she knows okay, that so they're gonna have their that's how she's gonna make the most of that time caveat and- no one in the world loves Kylie Minogue <laughs> as much as Adam does I, I like Kylie Minogue what's what are you gonna do nothing wrong with that um but <laughs> so did I, you love when earlier when they're in the limo and that, he puts on the song the, the par- and <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, in the party, the, uh, and the party the, that the, kids the, the are little at. girl comes from is oh, is also that... playing a Kylie Minogue song. Right. So. The same song. It is the only is the Kylie same... Minogue song. <laughs> yeah. It's actually the national anthem in this world. So. Uh, and I like to think that the scene head. begins when he gets outside and sees her corpse and runs screaming into the limo, and that's it. That's his scene. That's his. Oh, appointment. cool. So is she dead? Because that one is tougher. It's to... super. It's super hard. I mean, like that's her her role. She explicitly says, "I'm a I'm a stewardess who's lost her lease on life and is going to kill herself." Basically, she, right. She... And it's her and the guy who go up there, like they're both dead together. Yeah. So I, that for me, I was like, "Is this one movie magic?" Yeah. Because well, I I honestly thought I that think he it's got supposed to... to be at this point. You're not supposed to know right. where the scene is. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you're supposed to really know at all. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> But yeah. this is where it gets really difficult. Yeah, <laughs> right. and I'm and I'm I'm the first to admit that uh like. The, this this is the one that challenges my reading the most, and I think that that's on purpose. Like yeah, you said, absolutely. You know? Like yes. I think that that's. I mean, uh, given the fact that the the cars all talk to each other at the end, there's obviously more going on than my simple. I think if Carax knew that we sat in a room for like two hours and discussed like what are the, what's the nitty gritty of the way this this the this movie making works, works yeah. and he would lose his fucking mind. I think he'd be like, that's so pointless. <laughs> <laughs> like, Who cares? It doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> well, can I say that Open I invitation. I, to yeah. Monsieur Carax. But I, I would I would like to tell Monsieur Carax that I hated your movie until I had this conversation and now I'm actually like, hey, cool. Before we move on to the last rendezvous, we do get another glimpse of the kinds of film that the the audience in the Opera House or Theater were watching before. And I I I'm now looking at it. I'm thinking that like the the whole thing is that they're showing us this grainy black and white it's basically like early test footage where it's like a naked man, like open hands, shut hands, open hands, shut hands, <laughs> do a squat, stand up, do a squat, stand oh, yeah. up. Mm-hmm. And what I think is going on there is it's saying the future looks like garbage, but if you go too far backwards too, like it's not offering anything to anybody <laughs> either. Uh, figure, Actually, us figuring out how to get this technology to make art. <laughs> right. And, and, and also when it comes to future and, um, the past I, I just wanted to point out my favorite shot of the whole movie happens just before that when uh kylie minogue and um monsieur oscar are, are on top of that roof that she eventually jumps off of and they're standing there and it's very deliberately shot so you see notre dame and then you see this giant skyscraper whose name escapes me right now but it's notre dame is these two uh you know two towers of the of the cathedral the front of the cathedral and then this third tower of the like super modern crazy 
Paris next to it, right? So I think it's it's very obviously supposed to be like the past, like the the first thing that ever happened that made Paris Paris and Paris now, right? Like the, the future. The Town, actually, the building that they're doing it in, this closed down department. That's space, right. Yeah. Is is exactly that as well, right? It's this this old building that at the time sort of represented Art Nouveau, right? This new sort of architectural style that was kind of this is it. This is this is yeah. sort of the, the the Paris that we're going. This 19th century kind of um, traditionalist sort of thing, and and you know this department store was constantly failing, so it was constantly being contracted out and bought out, and there's constantly people fighting over we want to modernize this building and yada yada, and and the you know Parisian city council is constantly arguing about what to do with it. And actually, just recently, I think actually this year or last year, they finally decided, yeah, okay, well, we'll you can you can wipe the facade and kind of yeah. make a new sort of modernized building. Oh, well, it's it's only use in this movie is to. Facilitate facilitate suicide (laughs) it's like it's called the samaritan the samaritan yeah yeah so we move on to the last job which is the one that had me clue into the fact that the opening was also a job was also a job yeah there is no mr oscar i don't know um i hate this one is (laughs) where he goes home to his happy domestic life with his chimpanzee family Mm -hmm. which i mean that does seem kind of like the like the end of the road for him. That's where Mr. Oscar is approaching the end of his career. He just got picked up for a Netflix original comedy starring <laughs> Ashton Kutcher as a chimpanzee. <laughs> and it's just like he doesn't look happy about it. He can't even like unless his role is to be unhappy husband to chimpanzee and father to chimpanzee. He's just like he's like is this it? Is this and the, everything and the song that that's playing to? is that's the the immortality song that we were talking about earlier the live again to live again to live again to live oh, again yeah. to live again so if this is the end of the road it's his immortality in in cinema is the goddamn monkey family movie right and never work with never work with children or animals right <laughs> so he is really he has really hit the bottom of the barrel for an actor the bottom of the barrel of monkeys oh and good one that so good okay so wait you're not suggesting that that's his actual family are you no 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 okay no. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's what made this whole thing like really depressing hmm. is that at the end of the day he doesn't have a home to go mm-hmm. home to his limousine his job is he might not even get a fake human family to go home. <laughs> yeah <laughs> right he gets a chimp he can't one. he can't even pretend <laughs> yeah like this is this is the world that the actor inhabits that your job is to pretend to be other people mm-hmm. until we have squeezed all of the humanity that you pretended out of yourself yes and now you are you're an n- airbud or whatever right <laughs> yeah <laughs> the only uh, thing i was going to point out for more celine talk is um Edith Scott at the end puts on that mask um, mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. she hops out of the car and goes home. That mask, um, Edith Scott's like, I think it might actually be her first role, um, but her her kind of first career defining role uh, was in uh, the 1960 uh, French kind of psychological horror film Eyes Without a Face, and she plays a daughter of this kind of mad mad scientist. She's had her face is all screwed up. And she wears an almost identical looking mask for the majority of that film. Um, so again, at the very end of this film about films, with all these nods to the actual personages playing them, you've got this thing of her putting on to go home, right? To, to get out of this apparently never stop reality show world, she puts on the mask that 
was how everyone thought of her for decades right <laughs> um from a movie that had nothing to do with her where she kills her like <laughs> yeah <laughs> her weird is, doctor murdering dad which is another reason why i think that um her casting was conspicuous when we're talking about absolutely uh, yeah. yes yeah, yeah absolutely yeah yeah having no idea about that reference i was like there's so the many, so that? many, it, it, so many direct it, references. I think. In well, this and a lot of those come catch. off as pretentious if you don't get them. You know sure. what I mean? Like, yep. oh, now she's putting on a fucking mask. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. it's it's very uh, pretension is it's a very easy thing to levy and not an easy thing to refute. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because anything that could be is halfway intelligent can be pretentious. Mm. Um, it's whether it's done for the thing itself. Or that's usually when I try to use the term, when I use the term pretentious, if I use it at all, I try to, if, if, if the thing is done for the sake of being a, a kind of high class move or a, 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 an in-depth maneuver or whatever, a reference, um, and it doesn't actually contribute anything, then that's when I'm like, okay, what, what the fuck was the point? I see. But uh, earlier you were saying that this director definitely is a pretentious director. Oh, fuck yeah. Well, I mean, shit. I, absolutely, yes. So I mean, do you mean he's doing that knowingly? Like he's deliberately being pretentious? I think he's I think he, he's laying down a lot of um, direct... Well, I'm going to say... I was going to use the word homage, but I've actually read an interview with Kadax where he's explicitly said, I don't do homage. See, but that's fucking... <laughs> but that's, exact, <laughs> that's, what that's exactly the kind of thing that he that, that, a, that a pretentious director would say in an interview yeah. who does homage constantly because yeah. there's there's shots in there that I think are directly uh, nods to, to French cinema. So, yeah, I mean, in a movie that's about, you know, his his shifting relationship with um, the power, the, the, the remaining power of cinema, the remaining humanity left in the process... Um, I think absolutely he's he just went hog wild and was doing whatever the fuck he wanted because at the end of the day it's it's Hail Mary time for him, right? He makes he makes what he wants to see, I guess. Alright, well the way that I always like to wrap up these discussions is because we watched this on Canadian Netflix. I wanna see what star rating it got in your own Netflix profile. So one star means you hated it, two stars means didn't like it, three stars means liked it, four stars really liked it, and five stars means you loved it also invite you to share your mvp so whatever uh, performance or person maybe brought this to another level for you so uh caroline let's start with you okay um uh, let's do before the conversation and after yeah that's what i was about to say yeah <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> um okay so i was thinking about what i was going to do for my letterbox profile actually because i'm i'm pretty religious now about uh logging every movie that i watch on letterbox when i watch it and i write a review uh if for, for the new movies that I'm, I'm watching, and I always uh, put a star rating as well. And so I was thinking today that I would put two stars for this movie. Um, that was before having this conversation. And so I think I, I think of them the same way as the, the Netflix ones, with, you know, one star hated it, two stars didn't like it, three stars liked it, four stars, you know, etc. Um, so I would I would maybe put this as a, as a, as a two and a half now, um, or a three. So on on, well, on letter I know on letterboxd so. I said <laughs> you can you can do two and a half. So on Netflix I'd probably do three now, right. and that's mostly because after having this conversation with you guys, um, I I have forgiven it for a lot of the pretentiousness that turned me off originally, and um, I'm able to kind of see that as being part of the conceit that it's after, and I admire it for that at this point. Now having had this conversation. Fair enough. MVP. Uh, Celine. <laughs> Celine or Paris, <laughs> the city. <laughs> the backdrop of Paris was 
intentional for sure and gorgeous and really was the only kind of thing that I mean the the limo we had that small space but Paris being the big space was the the backdrop and that's another thing my last my last thing about it being a reality tv show is that my imagined name for this reality tv show on the Oscar channel I imagine that they're all called something like Paris you know what I mean this is everything that's happening in Paris right now and you can find Monsieur Oscar's channel you can find that you know, that woman who was with Monsieur Oscar as the nurse. You can find Kylie Moe's. Right, yeah. And you can find Kylie Minogue's channel. Um, but That's that, where I'm at. But yeah, and so uh, so I really loved that it was set in Paris. I really loved um, the, the setting, and I, I just thought it was really gorgeous. Um, but Celine was my, my the the rock that I always was so happy to come back to as such being the palette. Such an anchor to the film. Yeah, such an anchor and a palette cleanser and just an incredible performance. And um, I really, she was so elegant and strong but also i got this real sense of vulnerability and especially at the end where i'm kind of like how long what time is it like when do you have to be back at work like you know what i mean like i I felt really worried for her i was not happy with the type of life that she's having to leave the time was concerning for me because he leaves at the break of dawn and when they get home it's well past Midnight. Night. Like these are long slogging. These are actor hours. Yeah. He has at right. least like two two appointments after he's like, we got to laugh before midnight. Right. Thing, yeah. So. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's already past midnight. And I mean, uh, sure, he's the actor and everything, but she has to go and, and drive and do all this. So she it, she was the most compelling character for me. Right on. Yeah. How about yourself, Adam? Rating MVP. Five stars. <laughs> Five stars, no doubt. Um, because even the stuff I don't like about it, I I love the the weirdness and the boldness of it. And MVP would probably be the chimpanzee family. <laughs> okay. Really? Sticking. <laughs> no, I mean, like, what do you say, right? I mean, obviously, Dennis Levant, Denis Levant is, 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 has got a performance here. He's got nine performances that are, that are stunning. So, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll do the easy ten. one and go. Ten if you include Austin. Yeah, if you include there, That's true. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good point. Um, so, yeah. Chimp family or, <laughs> I guess, Denis Levant. All right. My rating is four stars. Um, wow. I feel like for... Four, because it was different than anything I've ever seen, but in a way that was felt more compelling than pretentious. And I was just really giddy about the fact that I felt like I got something from it on first watch. <laughs> um, it was validating. So you're giving yourself four stars. <laughs> well, no, the movie the movie gets three. <laughs> I, I get, get five. <laughs> it and it averages to four. <laughs> Perfect. No, it was... Uh, no, I think that it, it had a lot to say. It said a lot of things in the way that it wanted to and didn't... A as... lot like Mr. Shit, most of it incomprehensible. Right. <laughs> um, and my MVP, also Denis Levant, um, for pulling off nine out of ten performances as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> you know, even the the, the Monsieur Merid one, I think it was bad on purpose. Mm-hmm in a way that I, I hope I unpacked earlier. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think that that's, that's a nice spread. You know, you hated it a little bit less. You're wearing the t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Underneath my Kylie Minogue t-shirt. Adam, is there anything that, that you're doing that Plugs? people should know about? Plug? Or? No, no one should know about the things that I do. <laughs> um, uh, I would be very, very frightened about that. But if, <laughs> 
for some reason you want to see me occasionally tweet, um, you can follow me on Twitter. You're... It's autophagia. That's A-U-T-O-P-H-A-G-I-A. Well, that's going to be everything for this week from the Netflix podcast. If you like what you heard today, head on over to netflixblog.wordpress.com to check out the rest of the Netflix content, like show notes, articles, and reviews. You can also find us on our social media platforms. We're on Facebook as Netflix, on Twitter at NetflixPod. You can find me there at Dylan Clark Moore. And you can find me there at D-I-E-Z-Y-N, Eason. We are on Tumblr and SoundCloud as Netflix Podcast. You can find me on Letterboxd as Dylan Clark Moore. So that's where we talk about all the movies that we've seen, reviews of stuff that's not on Netflix in some cases. And as well, that's where I've got a list of all the upcoming episodes. So everything that's been booked so far, you can see what's coming and get excited, watch the movie, and join us when we do it. Uh, you have Letterboxd as well, Caroline? Yes, it's uh, letterboxd.com slash D-I-E-Z-Y-N. If you'd like to support the show, there are a few ways you can do so. You can start by heading over to iTunes or whichever podcast platform you prefer and subscribing so that each week's episode comes straight to you. While you're there, drop a rating and a review to let us know what you think. You can also contribute directly to Netflix by way of our Patreon campaign. Whether it's for the rewards, like shoutouts on the podcast, or customized content, or if you'd just like to see us keep doing what we're doing, you can pledge your support over at patreon.com. The Netflix podcast is produced and edited by me, Dylan Clark Moore. The theme music was provided by Zach Moore. Speaking of music, the piece you're hearing right now is off a brand new album. Well, I guess it's not brand new anymore. From record label A Person Disguised as People. The album is called Odiyamo from the artist Chinoski. This piece is called First Echoes. Check out the link at the bottom of this episode's show notes on the blog for more details. Thank you so much for checking out this week's episode of the Netflix podcast, and be sure to join me here next week for a whole new conversation about a whole new movie from the Netflix catalog, because even if you think you've seen it all, you ain't streamed nothing yet. guys closed down my party when joel and i were singing mulan which is our our favorite thing to close down parties with wait like a bunch of mulan or okay so was it oh i feel like it was more than one mulan it was definitely not reflection okay it's (laughs) um make a man man out of you the the greatest disney Disney song song of all time time. exactly thank you (laughs) i wasn't aware this was a this was a donny osmond as sung by donny osmond yeah really let's get down to business i didn't realize it was donny osmond to defeat new theme song 
for the podcast. The Huns. Are you recording? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Did they send me daughters when I asked for sons? You're the saddest bunch I ever met. And you can bet before we're through. Mr. I'll make a man out of you. I'm going to do the whole thing, so you, you, better, you better strap yourself in. 